Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler. He's traveling the United States right now. As you can see, he's in a hotel room. He's in beautiful. Are you staying in Palo Alto? Where are you? I'm at? literally right across the street from the university. I went as close as possible so that I could actually like somewhat walk around and not have to. Dude, Uber prices in California are insane. Um, <laughs> like I took a 20-minute drive to go meet up with somebody today. And I paid fifty dollars. It was like, yeah, yeah, it's it's insane, dude. But yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's very nice out here. Uh, Stanford is like <laughs> one of the most beautiful campuses I think I've ever had the privilege of being on. Um, yeah. Awesome, awesome place. So Mark is at Stanford right now, uh, doing a story of some sort. I don't know if you want to jump into it yet because I think we it's going to take we some can pause. Yeah, you know, you're yeah, time for you to write it and everything. Yeah. But Mark is there. You're going to get a great story out of what he's doing at Stanford today. Though on the show, we're not talking about Harrison Ingram, Stanford basketball, Haley Jones, anything like that. We are talking a few NBA topics. We're going to start very, very quickly with Cade Cunningham and his injury. Uh, where he will be out for the season as he gets surgery on his shin. I'm going to not talk much about this on this show because on Friday I have James Edwards coming on and we're going to dive deep into it and what it means for the Pistons and everything like that. I'm going to let Mark kind of give a take just because I know Mark has thoughts on it, but I'll probably save most of what I think for the Friday podcast with James. Then – we're going to talk about Jaron Jackson and the Memphis Grizzlies, but particularly Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson has been unbelievable since he's hit the court this season, particularly on the defensive end. I don't really think it's all that close in terms of who has been the most impactful permanent defender in the NBA this season. I think it's just like very clearly Jaron, and it's just going to come down to him getting enough minutes uh, in terms of whether or not he wins defensive player of the year. I think he's been that good on defense, and we're going to talk about why. Then we're going to go into NBA trade kind of shakeup teams. Essentially, the teams that we think really just need to do something on the NBA trade market. They need to make a move. They need to kind of find a way into uh, contention in some way or another, or even just like the playoffs. Uh, the two teams that really stand out to me are Miami and Dallas, but we'll probably talk about a couple others. Finally, we're going to close with Jarris Walker. Houston played Alabama, as you guys may have seen on my Twitter feed. I broke down a lot of that game uh, over the course of a long thread. Mark and I have been promising a Jairus Walker breakdown for the last three weeks on the show, I feel like. So finally, we are going to come through on that. Mark, that is a big agenda. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, mainly, yeah, just starting off. I uh, This just sucks for Cade. Um, you never want to see that happen to a player. Um, obviously, it, I mean... I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to pretend to be. Uh, hopefully, that is something that is not going to take a super lengthy recovery process. Shouldn't be an issue for him. That's the hope. Um, so on that front, like, yeah, I, th- I think that's frustrating, especially when you look at what his uh, – it's difficult in how people have talked about his season. I do think that he made real strides. I know what the shooting splits have been. That's also, like, just – there's a lot going on with what that team context is for somebody who's creating on ball. Um, while also noting that he just wasn't himself partially due to injury. Um, looking at this from the Pistons front, I think that this is again, a, a double-edged sword. Like on one hand, Killian Hayes like looks good. Like he's playing yeah. really, really well. Like this is better than I, I thought he would ever get back to. Um, 
And I think part of that has been having the ball in his hands a little bit more running with the starting unit. Um, but, you know, that's one of those things where you look on the other hand, like, okay, well, you really need to see if this can work with him playing alongside Cade. Like you, I, I think like, again, it's good to see the growth and flashes and everything going on. But like, I want to see that with the guy that you just drafted number one overall last year. So I think that makes it inherently a little bit more difficult to parse that through, especially for a team that even though they're still obviously, I'm not going to use the word tank necessarily, but like, even though this is clearly not a team that's primed to win right now, like they're hitting a point where they do need to start reining in what their young guy rotation is. Like they have a lot of guys who they are trying to figure out. Like the front court is sneakily a little bit chock full, like, and I think that can obviously change. Well, it's it's not sneaky. I don't well, think. Well, like, I, I, think I think mainly just because people don't talk about it or like, you know, yeah. mention it. Like Jalen Duran, I think is deserving as a starter right now. And they've been trying to play Isaiah Stewart alongside him. I haven't loved it. I, I get why they're doing it. Stewart has done some fun things. Um, but then like Marvin Bagley, the thirds played pretty well off the bench. They just paid him. Um, wait, they, they did just pay him, right? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I believe they did. Um, Three years, $37 yeah. million this summer. And my assumption is they're going to just keep running him off the bench. I'm interested to see how that continues to play out. But um, And then we have everything that I'm sure you're going to talk about with James, with Sadiq Bey on the coming pod. Like, There's just a lot. Like, In terms of figuring out what this next iteration of Detroit basketball is, I think this season is like this. It's not just a wash moving forward. Like, They really need to figure some things out the back end of this year um, and losing Cade hurts that. So again, mainly it's just, this sucks for Cade um, and it makes it just a little bit harder to parse through what they're going to be. Um, but I just hope he gets better soon. Well, and as much as anything, you know, they went out and acquired Boyan Bogdanovich and extended yeah. him for a year. Right. And they could move him at the deadline. If I remember correctly, because I think that the extension year um, does not preclude him from being dealt, but like it's, it's an interesting situation because the thing that you didn't mention there in terms of why they're coming up against this from a timeline perspective is that Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart are all free agents in theory after next season, which mm-hmm. means they are extension eligible this summer. So this is when they need to find out who these guys are because whether or not you get an extension on a guy and decide to sign a guy to an extension can often mean real savings long-term as you're building out this roster and can have real ramifications in terms of roster building moving forward. So I really, really think that it's hard because, and I'm going to talk about all this with James and this is probably where I'll cut it short, but like they obviously should be tanking because they very clearly don't have enough talent on this team in my opinion. Mm-hmm. but they also need to be like competitively tanking. If that's like a possible phrase, it's a stupid phrase. I feel like, but like it, for lack of a better term, I guess they need to be like competitively tanking in some way just to find out who these guys are and they need to find the right scheme for them. Like for instance, Troy Weaver has really valued bigs over the course of his tenure. Are you just going to play two bigs with Cade Cunningham? That seems like a fucking disaster idea if you're trying to get the most out of Cade. So I, I don't know, but the Cade Cunningham injury sucks. I'm not that worried about the shooting splits. I think Cade can shoot at the end of the day, so I just kind of don't care about that. I do care about the separation stuff that was starting to creep in a little bit, and you have to assume that it was because of the shin injury in some respect, as you alluded to. Um, but yeah, finding out if he's the guy – 
at the start of next season and moving forward into the middle of next season is kind of their critical thing now, unless they win the Wembenyama sweepstakes. Yeah, no, exactly. It just, uh, it makes it again, like, uh, it's not that I think this puts like a massive dent in what Detroit is or what they can be, but it certainly makes it murkier. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive in to the Memphis Grizzlies and particularly Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron Jackson Jr. to start this season is blocking 3.6 shots per game. That is outrageous. Uh, that is like, I, I can't remember. I'll look this up while you're breaking down Jaron Jackson, but I can't imagine we've seen someone block 3.6 shots per game in a long time. And there are a couple of things that Jaron has really improved at. I, I mean, when he came out of Michigan State, I think he was seen as like the switchy big, but I think his positioning and drop coverage has really, really improved. Mm-hmm. I think that his ability to kind of corral and contain drivers has really, really improved. Um, I think that his weak side instincts have also really improved. And he's even rebounding a little bit better than what we've seen from him previously. He just feels and seems a little bit more capable of anchoring his position and his spot on the floor and maintaining his ground without giving too much of it away, both when trying to establish himself when boxing out on the glass and when trying to contain and corral drivers that can't just try and go through his chest and try and draw a foul or try and just like blow his way through the rim, right? What have been your immediate impressions of Jaron Jackson Jr. and just how valuable do you think he has been defensively this season? Yeah, so even before we mentioned the defense, like I think what has been like like I mean, we're here to talk about the defense, but like yeah. I I feel like it's almost gone under rot how important the offense has been this year. Like yes. uh shooting sixty one percent on twos by far a career high, shot forty seven point six percent on twos for reference on what it was last year. That was, you know, obviously a drop off from where he'd been. Um, but like he can actually post up now. I think that there's just a little bit more coordination with the ball in his hands. He feels a little bit stronger in his base. Um, you know, somebody I can't remember who pointed this out, but um, like his stride length just feels more correct when he's driving and, and putting things together as a finisher. Um, he just feels under control in a way that he really never has felt fully in his career consistently. Um, and that to me has been like, he's gone from a guy where playing him at the four, if the shot wasn't falling was really difficult to now, like, I still think like, ideally you want him to be playing the five a lot, but for what this does, like, I mean, he like, I mean, figuring out passing is, I, I don't know if that's ever going to be something that we fully see from Jaron. Um, but what he started to round into now, you finally are sitting, starting to get like that full idea of like, this is a guy who can be, get to the rim, who can who can really shoot, shoot off movement, and then be an absolute menace defensively. And like you mentioned defensively, like watching him in that game against the Pistons, like granted, it's the Pistons, but also, I mean, he was, what I always look for in terms of like what is standing out as like a DPOY type play is like a guy who is blowing up plays before they can happen, like before yeah. they're even like starting to, to really get there. And it feels like he made like 12 of those plays in each half, which is like remarkable to watch. And it, it's not even like, like, like you're mentioning, it's not even just like the actual steals and blocks. He's combining for 4.6 stocks right now, uh, which is like you mentioned, just kind of astronomical, but um, it's just the, the activity has been really good, but it's also been like controlled activity. Like you mentioned too, like it feels like um, 
again, kind of like in tune with with talking about his offense. His his base is stronger. He he feels more coordinated and moving in in multiple planes because that's been a big issue for him and why he's struggled with fouling is like his his upper body is like rarely ever felt in sync with his lower body. And now it kind of feels like he's really getting that down. Um, and that's been frightening for teams playing the Grizzlies right now because he's been just incredibly impactful around the rim. Uh, and obviously not just around the rim, like his, his drop defense has been really good. His hands have been active. Um, he's incredibly mobile, of course, like he's just been a pleasure to watch and it's awesome to see him uh, healthy and, and hitting this level. Okay, Mark. Trivia time. Mm. When was the last time a player averaged 3.6 blocks per season or more? In a full season. Um, I know Miles Turner was close a couple years ago before he got injured. So it ended up not being him. Uh, This is a random shot. Didn't Theo Ratliff do that once? I think he was close. So it's not... Theo Ratliff. He probably did it once or twice. Oh, you were, okay. You, it's you not were that far straight back. Straight up, who was the last person? Yeah, because I was just yeah. thinking about that. Uh, most, it, it may, maybe can the, I get like a maybe, year range? Uh, 2016. Is the 2016. Year. Who was good in 2016? Oh, I was with the Warriors. Um, 2016. Shit. Okay, give it Give it to me. I'm I'm lost. It is Hassan White. Oh my God! In 2016. Okay. Right. Yeah. So maybe we'll go with a better <laughs> trivia time. Yeah. Who is the last good defender to average 3.6 blocks per game? This was in 2012. In 2012, is that Kevin Garnett? It's not Kevin Garnett. It's not Kevin Garnett. No, I'm thinking way too far. Wait, wait, not far. I mean, too far back. Um, 2012. Oh, was it Serge Ibaka? <clears throat> if Serge Ibaka, there we yeah. go. Mark goes one for two. I love it. There we go. Uh, and Serge, look, early in Serge's career, he was impactful as a weak side rim protector, particularly, but I don't think he ever quite got to the point that Jaron is at now as an overall defender. You can switch Jaron. Jaron can be out on an island with a guard, and I feel pretty good with it, or at least as good as I do with other bigs outside of like Bam at a bio, right? Bam mm. is the best switch defender in the NBA among bigs. Jaron is, would you say that next step down, I would say, or would yeah. you even go two steps down? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I feel like Bam's in his own bracket because he's just special yeah, totally. with what he can do. Like, I mean, looking at, I don't know if you got to watch last night's Pacer game, but he just kind of took Tyrese Halliburton out of the game. Um, It was incredible okay. stuff to watch. And we're going to talk more about it, but like, um, yeah, I think he's probably two tiers below. Um, Like he's yeah. still very, very good, but that's just more, like Bam is one of one in what he does. 100%. But what Jaron has been able to do is he's able to combine now that switching with the perimeter defense. He's improved his anticipation all across the court, I think, to the point where it's now very difficult to get away from him, mm-hmm. I feel like. He's almost omnipresent, it feels like. Like defenders just are – there are sometimes defenders that you can scheme out. Right. Like you can find a way to like hide Kawhi Leonard's man, like in the corner or something like that. You can particularly do it a little bit easier. I think with wing defenders or like 
with Draymond Green, you can try and involve him in like more on ball action. So he can't be as much of a menace away from the ball. Like I often Mm -hmm. think that's even a little bit better of an idea than what teams tend to do, which is just allow him to be a menace off the ball. Jaron is so rangy and so big while being mobile and now having the anticipation it feels hard to get him away from everything, don't you think? Like it's it's just hard to get him out of any action that you run. Like even if he is guarding like a corner shooter or something like that, like he can take two strides and be there. And then if you kick out, like he's pretty good at closing out on shooters now to where like, yeah, he's you know probably going to be a little bit under control or out of control just because every six foot 11 guy is going to be somewhat out of control closing out to a corner shooter from time to time but like i don't know man it's just hard like it's really really hard to keep him out of the play now i think yeah no i would agree with that i think uh i mean that like you mentioned this is a select group of guys that can actually do that and he's hitting that which has been really impressive and i think it speaks to the grizzlies defense as a whole because they're so good at just being solid and when you add somebody like that who can really yep. wreak havoc when you are able to stay solid, that just brings them to another level. Because I think, like like we've mentioned on here before, like the Grizzlies have been solid defensively even before Jaron got back. Like they've been looking, yes. they've, they've found ways to continually be better. Um, and again, like you're mentioning, I think just bringing that in is um, they're hitting new heights. And I think this Grizzlies team just continues to really, I, I shouldn't be surprised by them anymore, but they always just kind of find ways to be a little bit surprising in what they do. And, um, I'm very excited to watch what they continue to do as guys can keep coming back and coming back and getting healthy. Cause like Zaire Williams, I want to say the Pistons game was his first game back. It was his first or second game. Um, he's finally back. Uh, there have been the rumors that he's just magically taller now and it kind of looks like it on court. Um, and I'm, I'm just Desmond Bain coming back, hopefully soonish. Uh, yeah. This team is, this seems fun. Well, and so you brought up the idea that they were pretty solid defensively without Jaron. So without Jaron Jackson on the court this year, they have a 113 defensive rating, which is like the equivalent of the 17th best defense in the league. So right around league average, right? With Jaron on the floor, they're at 105.4, which would be the best defense in the league. Now, like, look, it's probably not the best defensive lineup in the league. I would imagine that some combinations that Milwaukee puts out there, uh, particularly with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, are more effective defensively. But I think it goes to show just how good the Grizzlies defense is with Jaron out there. And they are going to get Bain back. And I think that's going to add to their defense more than it subtracts to their defense, certainly, because just putting his minutes, you know, put him in 30 minutes a game where he's a pretty solid defender who's always under control and closeouts and is a tough physical defender who you really just can't blow through his driver at all. Like, yeah, he struggles with contests from time to time just because of the short arms, but like he's just always there, it feels like, Mm -hmm. uh, to at least get something of a contest, even if it's not quite as impactful as it could be with someone like Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Taking those minutes away from guys like David Roddy, Jake LaRavia, et cetera, it's really going to help their defense. Like th- this is a this is a really good team. Now the question I have for you is: This an NBA title contender? I talked about this with Dave before over on Friday slash Saturday, depending on which country you live in. Hi, fellow Australians. Uh, I am very intrigued by the fact that I think this really could be Jaron Jackson being as good as he is defensively now. Mixing that with 
Ja Morant and Desmond Bain on the perimeter, they might be one piece away, but like with how wide open the West is, I kind of wonder if they are. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. I, I do still feel like there may be maybe just like one depth guy short, like in terms of having somebody who can really create for themselves and others. I think that that's like, again, like even going back to last year, I think that's like the one thing that they miss. Like obviously Desmond has made those strides and that's not to take away from that. But I do think it's more just, I feel like they need that. They they do struggle to have at least two guys like that on the court at all times. I feel like even when they do stagger, I I think that that can tend to be a problem because as much as like Tyus Jones is awesome, but I still always feel like with him, I'm like, I just wish that he would take a few more shots. Like, I feel like there's always just a little bit left on the table with him. Um, but again, that's that's nitpicking. Like, that, I still think this group, like, what's so exciting about them is even though they're so young and they are built relatively new still, uh, when you're thinking about, like, John, Jaron still being just about rookie skill guys, um, same thing with Desmond Bain. Like, they have real playoff experience. Like, they've played what three yes. rounds in the last two years now and i i i would not pick against them i think that it with what they bring matchup wise how they can be so versatile the ability like they really have the ability to um it's not to the same level as the pelicans but in terms of what they bring with just multiple guys who can do quality things on court um that they there's not a lot of teams that i think are gonna be able to match up with that um and it's more so too like is if they're healthy which they this feels like knock on wood, but this does feel like their healthy year. They're getting the injuries out of the way early um, because it's always been late in the year that it's really bit them. Um, I I think that I I wouldn't I, I don't want to say that they're con- they're a contender, but I don't want to say that they're not either. Like I, I think that if they ended up making the Western Conference Finals, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, is a is how I would put it right now. Um, but I still feel like they're maybe just a little bit away from where I would view them as like, this is a full on contender. Um, but that could even just maybe a next stretch of play really changes my mind on that too. So what they have like an eight man rotation right now, Desmond Bain, John Morant, Dylan Brooks, John Conchar. Maybe you play 15 minutes of Steven Adams in the playoffs, Jaron Jackson, Tyus Jones, Brandon Clark. And then you have Santi Aldama, who is a wild card in the playoffs, I think, at the very least. Yeah. Um, I've loved his play this year, though. And he's been on I've, a heater the last week or two. Absolutely love Santi. I think that he is a very real potential like NBA starter at some point, even yeah. given how good he has been so far. But there are questions about oh, sure. what that's going to look like in the playoffs, I think. Uh, right now, with him at 22 years old, that is. Uh David Roddy and Jake LaRavia and Zaire Williams, all three of those guys. Zaire played a role last year for sure. And if he can bring the offense in a way that he hasn't always been able to, like through a year and three games worth of play, maybe. Maybe he can be the guy. But I agree with you. Like if I was them, I'd be trying to go out and find like one extra guy. What would you be targeting if you were them? Uh, it's a great question. I think to me, they're like, I, I wouldn't go in for one of the medium deals right now. I think this is very much like a, if we can get Jordan Clarkson, that's sick type solution. Not saying that he's like the guy, but I think in that mold of, uh, and it seems like, like just to, to say as well, like, I think 
Tony Jones is like not reported, but I know that he said like the the Jazz are not really at all keen to move on from Jordan Clarkson. They really like him. He really likes being in Utah. Um, but like I think that ilk of player, like somebody who can come in and be like a super six man for them, who can really kickstart some offense. Um, yeah, I think that's what I look at. Even as much as I love Bojan Bogdanovic and what he could be for them. I do just wonder how much that a that they'd have to give up because of what that's going to look like salary wise to match. Um, I do feel like that's where you start getting into more territory where like, okay, if we're not certain that this is like really pushing us to the next year, which I think Boyan could actually, because that's the only, like they, they do lack movement shooting outside of Desmond Bain still. Um, but I mean, I, like, I, I think I view them like somewhere in that range, like, if they if like some massive thing opened up for them to to get a star player, which that's granted that's not like on the table right now, I do think that I'd love to see them be the team that makes that move. But that's partially why I'm like I don't know if I would go for a mid mid tier deal right now because what if that changes in the off season? Like what if there is a team in the off season where I don't know who to say, but like if somebody does because like a top fifteen player becomes available, you don't want to have moved some of your chips already that would have really helped you make that be a possibility. So I do feel like they have to tread the water a little bit on that. The team I'm looking at kind of in both respects of that continuum, right? Like, you know, good solid offensive creator or trying to go get the superstar is the Washington Wizards. Yeah. I wonder if they could be like a real player for Bradley Beal as a guy that like, look, we talked about it in the show before. I don't know if you and I have, but like, you know, the Grizzlies, they look for good dudes that are just like going to be smart, highly competitive, tough dudes that I really think that like Bradley Beal certainly fits like the great guy, like really good locker room person, like very clearly loyal in a real way. I wonder if he kind of really fits next to a John Morant and a Desmond Bain, Bain's floor spacing and shooting, John Morant's explosive athleticism, Beal's ability to create shots kind of from all three levels, I think would be really valuable for them in the playoffs potentially. Um, Or if they decide to not go that route, Kyle Kuzma has been really good this year. Pimpron18 in the comments on YouTube brought up Kyle Kuzma as an interesting suggestion here Kuzma's averaged 21 points a game he's shooting threes at higher volume than ever while still making about 34 percent of them I don't mind that actually like that's kind of an interesting player for them I think he's expiring at the end of the year so like if it doesn't work you can move on and just be cool with that like six nine okay defender like not a bad defender by any stretch of the imagination has turned into a switchable solid guy at least that's not a Neither of those options, like depending on which route they go, I wonder if the Wizards and Grizzlies kind of line up in terms of potential potential reasonings and potential moves that could be made on the trade market. Yeah, that could be fun. I like that one because I think like 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 you mentioned, that's the exact kind of guy that I think that they need in terms of just having it because they have like tons of the six four to six six guys who are. Uh, are, are capable of doing a little bit of everything. I think Kuz is a secondary creator while being capable of playing uh, playing defensively. And he's honestly, like, he can put minutes on a, on a bigger guy. But to me, he's always been better at playing down um, and just using his length to hound guys. Um, but again, like, exactly like you mentioned, I think that just adds another level of versatility that I think that's, like, the one thing that they're missing. That's what Zaire really brings when he's healthy and at his highest levels. But again, like you mentioned, you're still kind of waiting on on that to hit at the second part. 
uh, to also go off Pimperon's comments, I would not send Zaire. Like, I don't think that I'm at the mode where I would trade Zaire uh, for, for Kyle Kuzma. Like, I like Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. I think, A, the Grizzlies believe a ton in Zaire. And with what he started to show at Summer League and even just, you know, at the back end of last year when he started to get some on-ball reps, um, I would not be willing to do that unless there's, like, something else coming back, maybe. I would not trade Zaire for Kyle Kuzma, knowing that Kuzma is a free agent in all likelihood this summer. Yeah. He's a player option for next year at $13 million. But you're not going to be able to extend Kuzma for 125% of $13 million, so that's out. Like You just can't really do it, right? Like I don't think you can move Zaire Williams for Kyle Kuzma, knowing that Kuzma is a rental. Um, if we're talking Bradley Beal, I think Zaire Williams is absolutely on the table. But... That's that's a different conversation for a different day, I think. The Wizards are uh, surely, but not so slowly, needing to come to a decision on Bradley Beal and what they're going to do long term. Like The easiest way for them to figure this out is to move Bradley Beal, and I've been saying it on the show for three years now, it feels like. And they've been stuck in this purgatory for years because they continue to keep Brad and... I want to see Bradley Beal in a contender. I just want to see what it looks like. I think that he's a killer offensive player, one of the best scorers in the NBA. I think he'd be really good in the playoffs playing second fiddle to a superstar. Uh, you put him next to John Morant, put him next to Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson, that is a title contender, I think, just straight up. I would kind of just – I don't know how much I love a Beal and Ja backcourt. Um, like, offensively, I think that'd be sick. But And I, I always have thought, like, Beal, uh, other than the one year, like I do think Beal's defense has been a little bit over harped on. Like it's not good, but um, yeah. outside the year where the Wizards were like the worst defense in league history, I think he's like he's competent. At least he can play um, okay enough. Um, but when you put him with Ja together, look, I know Ja's been a little bit better this year. I still question how good his defense is going to be um, at the highest level. Um, because I don't, I still don't think it's been that great this year. Like it's, again, he's fighting more, but I still think his yeah. technique's pretty poor. Um, but again, I mean, like I'm not trying to totally like poo-poo that, but I, I do like it's just like it's one of the things where it does make me question a little bit, especially given uh, Brad's injury history too. But. Yeah, that's a good call too, especially when comparing it to John Morant, who's also a guy that tends to miss 20 games a year. It's a good call. It's definitely something they'd have to consider. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to transition from talking about a potential trade that could make a contender to talking about NBA trades that could shake up rosters and rosters in desperate need of shakeups. So we will be right back. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that 
it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory g-a-m-e-t-h-e-o-r-y to claim your account plus with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account nordvpn.com slash game theory guys i can't emphasize enough uh, how much i use nord every day of my life uh Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. All right, Mark, we are back. I want to talk about this. Eric Gordon, Jay Crowder, KJ Martin thing that Sham Sharania reported earlier this week. Strange deal. Like, strange idea for a deal. I will say that on Friday last week, I noted the idea of someone like a Jay Crowder to Milwaukee. Um, not an accident that I did that ahead of Sham's reporting that, mm-hmm. I will say. Um I had not heard anything about like Eric Gordon and KJ Martin being involved. Obviously there have been, I believe KJ Martin may have requested a trade earlier this season. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, He requested a trade in the summer. Um, and then I don't, he didn't quote unquote rescind it as far as I'm aware, but I, I mean, Kelly Eco reported that he's been really happy. They made him more centralized in his role. And he's played really damn well this year too. Yeah. Um, so I do wonder how much that's on the table, but, they have to pay him this summer and they have to pay a lot of guys in the next year or two. So it's definitely still up in the air. It feels like definitely feels like it's up in the air. Um, I guess that, so this purported deal would have been Jay Crowder to Milwaukee, Eric Gordon and KJ Martin to Phoenix, and then four second round picks to Houston. If I remember correctly. Right. God. Yeah. No, I <laughs> Did you just say yuck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> fuck is four second round picks doing like i that's all right man like yeah no sure i think i i believe that was a reported deal but that just like made me like puke my mouth look here's the thing kj martin is worth the first round pick i think just straight up i agree like i don't i don't know if eric gordon is i think he probably is worth a late first round pick but KJ Martin is worth a first round pick in my opinion he has played in a really uh 
interesting way this season with his athleticism, his ability to be a weak side rim protector that he showcased throughout his career. Uh, and then the shooting has looked a little bit better. And he's just looked a little bit more polished overall, I would say, as a player, which, of course, happens as you turn 21, 22, uh, whatever he is now. I believe he's maybe still 21. Is that right, Mark? Are you looking at his page? I'm checking. Uh, he is 22 now. 22 now. So, Oh, no, he's not. Yeah, no. It's his age 22 season, but yeah, he's 21 for another month. There we go. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't understand why they would move KJ unless he just wants to be moved, but there's no way you can move him for like the equivalent of like two second round picks or like a second round pick, I don't think. Like if you actually put him on the market, I think that someone will come with an interesting offer. Yeah. No, like honestly, if I'm the Bucks, I would rather trade for KJ than than Jay. That's like, the thing. That's actually what I was going to ask you. Would you rather have KJ Martin or would you rather have Jay Crowder if you're a team trying to win a title this year? Um, I think on uh, that's where it gets a little tough because, like, I think Jay to Jay for what the what the Bucks need is probably who makes more sense. But for me, like, I think if I'm the Bucks, like KJ, part of this is I'm biased because I love KJ Martin. I wrote like 3000 words about him last year and why I thought he could be like a, I don't think he's ever going to be an all-star of course, but like a guy who ends up being like an all-star level role player, because again, like, like you mentioned, I think if the shot really comes around and it tends to be when he gets more minutes, the shot looks better. Um, Like he really needs to be a volume guy. And I mean, like, like the, the handle's gotten a little bit tighter. He's gotten better at defending on the ball this year. He's doing all the things that make him a little bit more capable of playing the three. I still don't think he's fully there. But like you mentioned, I think I always look at this Bucks team as a team that needs more athleticism. Like, they're very low on athleticism outside of what Giannis brings. And I think KJ would bring a ton of pop that I'd like to think Buck would – Buck, jeez. Bud would be able to really work into the offense. Uh, I think that he would bring a lot that I like defensively too. Allow them to – have some more intriguing smaller lineups than what their small lineups typically tend to be. Um, I just really like how he could look alongside them because he'd be getting easy stuff off of much easier stuff than he's getting in the Rockets offense right now. Um, Again, like the shot really has to be there. So I think that's why there would be more pause on, on whether or not they would make the move for Jay or or KJ, but I would heavily consider it. I think for them, I would rather have, Jay. Yeah. And the only reason I say that is because I don't think KJ right now, unless they decide to just like keep that non-guaranteed year and just keep him. If they decide this is a two-year deal worth $3.8 million and we're just going to keep KJ Martin on that super cheap deal for the next two years, then yeah, that becomes interesting because KJ Martin has a non-guaranteed next year, uh, year next year in a similar way to how Jalen Brunson did, for instance, mm-hmm. where the team that, or no, it, it has to be a team option is like there. Ha- I'm sure that the Rockets made it. So it's like a team option or non-guarantee. I'll need to look into that, but like, I'm sure that that's the case. They can either decide to pick that up or not pick it up. And he can be a restricted free agent at the end of this year or an unrestricted free agent at the end of 2024. So if I was Milwaukee, maybe I would just pick up that second year for 1.9 million 
And I think I would rather have KJ then than have Jay Crowder for like 13 million for a year, even if Jay maybe helps you a little bit more this year. The thing that I worry about with KJ is can he actually get to the point as a shooter by the end of the year where teams are willing to close out on him? Not just like can he make them, but to where teams will actually defend him out there because that's the difference, right? Like they need to surround Giannis with four shooters. And if teams just aren't going to give a fuck, if KJ is out there and just leave him in the corner and then collapse down on Giannis, it's going to make everything harder, which would then mean that KJ wouldn't be able to play with Giannis, which makes it a little bit less valuable. But if you think you can work with shot over the course of the next like 12 months, maybe, then it becomes something interesting, right? Definitely. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know. The other weird thing about Milwaukee is like Joe Ingles is gonna like be back at some point, theoretically. I am and that's, I'm that's not gonna be a trade to, deadline acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> but is it like I'm not trying to be harsh, but like what did Joe do pre injury that year that looked good? Like I, I think plus like, percent from three. That's, like he that's what shoot, he's going to I just, I, yeah. he really struggled defensively in Utah. Yeah. In that last year, and I just, I do question what that's going to look like. And you, like we talked about, like I mean, I, again, like I guess that that does factor in, but in terms of actual playoff playability, <laughs> I do have real questions on what that's going to look like. I maybe would you I'm rather have? On that, but. Would you rather have Joe Ingles or Jay Crowder in the playoffs? Oh, Jay Crowder for sure. Um, I think I agree with you because of the defense and because they have three guys that can handle the ball already in Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. But I think that, like, I think Jay is on that level now as a player. I think that the fit for Jay is better in Milwaukee than Joe. But I think that that's the level Jay is now. Like, I think that people maybe didn't quite recognize that Jay also showed some slippage. Last yeah, year. no, he definitely did, but I, maybe I'm being too harsh on Joe, but um, it, it, I, I probably would not, I, I probably would have him a little bit above where, where I'm at with Joe right now. Yeah. Like Jay Crowder last year shot 39.9% from the field and 34.8% from three. I thought showed some real signs of slowness defensively as well. Um, and you can't just say that like, Oh, he was taking time off. Like he was taking a year off. Like he was on yeah. a contender last year and that was a real thing. So I don't know, but if I was Milwaukee, I'd be trying to do better than Jay Crowder, I think. But I also recognize that like maybe Jay is like the best they can do for a reasonable price. Right. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I mean, there are other guys I want to mention, but I know we're going to bring them up in in, in next few things, so definitely. And then for Phoenix, like, of course, you're going to try and go get KJ Martin and Eric Gordon, right? Like, yeah. if, if they do that, it solves a lot of problems for them, especially for how they like to run their offense. Like, if because uh, I think that's 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 what I would really like to see for them getting a real viable. Obviously, KJ is not a five, but like he can do a lot of the screen and roll five things that. I think Phoenix could really unlock that aspect of him. That would be really exciting about you yeah. know kind of changing, get, giving them a real change of pace off the bench because their their front court has been a little bit of a mess behind DeAndre Ayton. Um, obviously, more four and, or five, not at the three, but yeah. Well, even outside of Lawndale as well. Yeah, like, like I mean, I think yeah, because Jock's been okay. Yeah, Jock's been he, he's been fine, but like it's just again, like I think like getting getting to the point where you have like abilities to go like, okay, well, if when cam is back, um, if they really want to go like, okay, what if we 
are playing as a smaller team. We we throw KJ at the five, you know, have Cam, Mikhail, Devin, and like campaign out there for a lineup. And it's like, okay, well, we can just be like, we're going to switch all of our forwards and we'll just hang with this. And it's going to be running in transition, like just giving them more options because, again, like their biggest issue is just it, it is shooting the shooting depth behind like you've seen it so much with missing cam like their their bench the other night against in the game against the rockets like it they didn't they did not show up to play to be to be completely blunt but they also lost that game because their bench couldn't hit anything like their bench right now is like Landry Shamit just has had his minutes totally slashed and I don't mind it like he's been pretty rough this year but they don't really have consistent shooting threats and it's been it's been a problem um but yeah well, I mean, so put it this way. I don't even know that it's like shooting. It's can you do literally anything well, yeah, else yeah. on a court other yeah. than shoot, right? Yeah. Like they played Tory Craig and Dario Saric in that game against New Orleans for 57 minutes. They also played Landry Shamit and Damian Lee for 47 minutes. So that's basically two out of the five positions on the court over the course of the full game were a combination of Dario Saric and Torrey Craig and Landry Shamit and Damian Lee. And that's just not going to get it done, yeah. right? Like just end of the day, it's not going to get it done when you're in the playoffs. Obviously, Cam Johnson will solve a lot of this. He will take up 35 minutes of the Saric and Craig minutes, but they need something. Like they, they need something else in particularly they desperately need another creator, even if only for the regular season. And let's let's be as charitable as we can to Chris Paul and say that he is taking it a bit easier in the regular season, knowing that they can make the playoffs in order to like give a last hurrah in the playoffs, right? Yeah. But he has not looked good as a creator this year. The, the like he has actually looked pretty poor for a creator this year. And if he's not what he can be, I mean, this team can't win a title at the end of the day anyway, because they need two options in the backcourt with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Otherwise teams will just load up on Devin and be able to stop him. And I think it'll really bog down this offense in a substantial way, but more than anything, if only to lighten the load on Devin throughout the regular season, I think they need another creator like an Eric Gordon who can use ball screens, who can space the floor and can at least just give them another option. Yeah, no, I agree in entirety. Like they really have been lacking that player. Um, I I even thought last year, like there were times where I, I really felt that they missed having another guy who could create like that. Um, and honestly, like, I mean, to be truthful too, like campaign has been really solid stepping in as a starter. Yeah. Obviously Chris Paul's back now, but like, again, like he's been there, like they need just another guard with size who I think can really attack and, and create more and continue offense. Um, and I, like, I think Eric would bring that. Um, uh, right now, I guess is a good question to, to, to bounce off. What do I think of Eric Gordon right now? Yeah. I would like to see him in a competitive situation. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a fair way to put it. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I think he can create offense and I think he can shoot. But, like, I think that 
you know, defensively, he has not looked very good this year. And obviously he's shooting like 35% from three so far this year. So the shot hasn't fallen. I haven't seen a lot of drop off offensively in terms of the way he separates at the very least. I just yeah, think I the shot hasn't totally fallen. And like, he just doesn't look like he wants to like defend knowing that this isn't like a wildly competitive team. So I, I don't know, like maybe he has lost something defensively, but I'd take the risk if I was Phoenix and find oh, out. Definitely. But I said that last year too. I thought that they should have traded for him last year. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that they should have gone in for it last year too, but you know, hindsight. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think that that's a solid move for them. What other things you kind of look at and go like, Hmm, if you're, if you're the Suns, though, that's where it gets fun. Yeah. Um, I don't, it's hard to look around at the teams that might be out of it. Right. So like if you're the Spurs, like Josh Richardson, maybe, but uh, he doesn't help with the creation. Right. Uh, Charlotte. I mean, they're not going to move LaMelo. I don't quite, I mean, like maybe you try and get Terry Rozier, but like Terry isn't really going to fit with you defensively. He can shoot and that will help you. Like you could play Terry in the playoffs, I think. Um, I mean, I I can't, it's hard to find the guy. Like it's truly hard to find the guy that like really lines up for them. Maybe like an Alec Burks or something like from Detroit could help. Yeah. And he's actually played pretty well. Offensively, he's played well. The defense has been a mess, which I think like that's probably similar to Eric Gordon, like you mentioned. I think like he was a fine defender with the Knicks, so I think that he'd get back to it. But yeah, the, I mean, Detroit's, Detroit's defense as a whole this year has been like my biggest disappointment on the season. Um, yeah. One of them, at least. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like, I think he would do things that are, are beneficial. I think he could play, you know, 15 to 20 minutes in a playoff game and be fine. Um, but it's also like, okay, well, like, how much is this moving the needle? You know? Yeah. It's it's like, it's a very fine line that I just don't really know how to parse through sometimes. Um, well, like we, so here's a name. Like, DeLon Wright, I think, would help them a little bit. DeLon has the hamstring injury right now yeah. and, like, hasn't played a crazy amount, but... Like six foot five can create offense, good defender. Like, but again, he helps them more if Chris Paul is Chris Paul, not if Chris Paul is this diminished version of Chris Paul. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Um, let's go to some other teams here because I, I want to talk about. Uh, the Heat and the Mavs, particularly. Uh, you and I, I kind of just, every week I ask you, like, what do you want to talk about, right? And the first thing that you said was the Heat. So I kind of mm-hmm. try to figure out a construct that works for this, right? Uh, so the idea I came up with, like, was NBA shakeup teams, like teams that need a shakeup, a trade, some sort of roster movement that makes sense. And the Heat, I think, really kind of fit that, bill for a number of reasons so the heat currently i don't know what they did uh did they play tonight i know that they won last night but i don't think that they play tonight i'm looking right okay. now so they're 13 and 15 they had oh my god i mean mark you watched that indiana game because you alluded to it earlier 
Is that the winner so far for ugliest NBA game of the year? 87 to 82? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought we were going back to like 0304 Eastern Conference Finals right there. So it's like, yeah, um, that was not good. Uh, I actually like it. Oddly enough, like that's one of the wins that I look at. I'm like, that didn't feel like a win. Um, Like, I think that, like, obviously you can pull things from the defense because I do think the defense looked pretty good. Um, and even then, like they have the seventh ranked defense right now, but it's felt very up and down at times. Like I think part of it's just been like, are they getting up to play? But um, you know, when they have Jimmy in the lineup, I'm not really worried about what the defense is because they, they tend to sort that out. Um, the offense has just been abysmal this year. Um, like absolutely dreadful to watch, and it's not just like uh, they're missing shots or this and that. Like they take forever to run into sets. They don't play with a ton of pace. Um, it doesn't really feel like they are consistently getting anything that feels easy. Um, and that's bad. Like when you are a team that has thrived on dribble handoffs and being, you know, just playing really intuitive basketball and you can't rely and lean into that. And and that's yeah. what, that's how they scrape together. Good offenses. Um, they really lack that. I think one of the – I don't mean this as like a, a shot at Tyler here. Like I've enjoyed Tyler here this season. He's been really good in his role as a starter. Um, but I also just don't think it's quite been the right fit in the starting lineup to a degree. Like he's been really good as a scorer. The three-point shooting has been awesome. But his he's not getting deeper paint touches. I actually think that I wouldn't say that he's regressed as a playmaker, but it almost feels like he's leaned in even more to being a shot maker. So it's very much so in the, okay, well, if I'm not making this, then it's a fast break the other way. Um, Or it just is a possession that dies. And I think they've really lost a lot of the flow and continuity that you could feel in their offense, which was what made the heat to me fun to watch. I think for, for, for the casual fan, I think the heat were not a fun team to watch because like, they would grind out offensive possessions through like the house of a thousand screens. That's how they play. Um, and it just doesn't feel the same. And part of that is too, like, I mean, Duncan Robinson has just never really returned to that level um, that I think that they obviously had hoped he would be when they signed yeah. him. Um, and sneakily, well, not sneakily, but like as much as we talk about how good Bam is, they are incredibly undersized across the board. And I they think – that's been a massive issue for them uh, on offense. Like, I think that's part of some of their struggles are okay. When, when you don't have guys who are there on the offensive glass consistently, or you have threats that you can drop it to in the paint, especially considering like Bam is so often either rolling or operating as the handoff guy or creating himself. There's just less avenues for easy scoring on the inside. Um, so, I mean, and that's well noting too. Like, Bam has been really damn good this season. Like, the defense, he's playing at like a DPOY level. Um, the offense from him, like, I'm not going to say he's quote unquote taking another step this year, but the last 10 games, it feels like he's really upped that aggression. Um, yeah. It's the stuff you want to see from him. But again, it's like everything else outside of it has not been good. I think I, Kyle has been fine. For when you're considering oh. who he is at this point, no. When you're consider, I mean, when you're considering that this is 36 year old Kyle Lowry, like it's okay, but it's not what they like. They need more. Like they need a lot more than that. But I think you're also baking in like there needed to be more than this coming out of the roster. Um, it, it just like the paint t- paint touches from guards in general 
are just pretty non-existent right now. Um, or yeah, I should say like, like Kyle can get to the paint, but he, when I can't remember the last time that he looked at the basket when he went inside. Um, yeah. so it's just, what is the actual impact? Um, it's been very rough, um, offensively. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that the thing you started with was, I want to be careful how I say this because I think Tyler hero is like a genuinely necessary part of their offense, given how little scoring they have. But when Tyler operate, it becomes the Tyler hero show when the heat have the ball and they hand the ball over to him. Right. Very little of it seems like it's within the flow. Now, like, maybe you can make a case that like there is no flow with the Miami heat right now. And they need someone who can operate and orchestrate outside of that. Right. But like you said, it's just not who they are. Right. And I think that they need hero to be able to operate a little bit more within the flow of things and operate a little bit more as like a secondary guy next to Jimmy as opposed to like, I don't know, like when they play together, it almost feels like they're taking turns a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole offense has felt like it. Um, yeah. And it's because well, it's weird. Like, as good as Jimmy has been this year, it's still like it just his impact feels a little bit muted offensively. And I think, again, part of that is just what the collective shooting has been, especially from the bench. Um, and that's what's so difficult because I think like Tyler's not playing differently than he did last year. Um, and I think that's part of the risk that you ran by moving him into the starting lineup. Like, okay, well, what he did last year worked incredibly well for the bench. Like, the bench was built around him and everything he brought as a scorer. Um, but also, okay, well, his role hasn't changed this year. So how do you build in the starters around that? How does that factor in and look? And it, the answer is not good right now. But I think, again, like part of the issue is like, okay, well, if you are getting a little bit more from some of the other guys, does it look better? Does it look different? Um, if Kyle is more aggressive or more assertive when he is in the paint, does that make things look different? I, I don't, I think that it's a little bit of both for sure. But um, I mean, that's then going to the bench. Um, like they're, Dwayne Dedman has been rough this year. Uh, I think that's been one of the more sore spots on the team has been what his minutes are. Like I need to look at the finishing numbers. It feels like he can't make a layup inside right now. Um, and then defensively, like they've been, using him as a as a show guy a lot more and drop and it's not good because again like I get in principle why they're doing it same thing with why they're so active as a switch defense but again the problem is okay well you have Caleb Martin on the back line I don't know why I said it was like a two-syllable thing but like you have Caleb Martin on the back line and like Caleb Martin is a he tries his ass off he plays really hard but he's 6'4 like I think they are so willing to give up some of the switches and stuff that they do and be as aggressive as they are with Bam. And teams are like, okay, cool. Do that. We're going to, you know, boomerang pass it and get it to the post and quick mismatch. Like, it's it's simple yeah. for us. And, again, like, as good as the defense has still been, I do think, like, that has been a real sore spot, especially when you're talking about the bench and what that looks like. Um, it, I, I don't – like, that feels like an easier fix to, like, get – okay, like, we've talked about this before. Like, Kelly Olenek to the Heat would be – phenomenal for them be a godsend everything. because like i would honestly i would start kelly like i would put kelly oh like, totally yeah yes. like easily yes. like i would start kelly with bam move caleb back to the bench um 
just to see if that can a regenerate some of their offense because Caleb, like Caleb's been really good this year. I, I don't know if I'd quite have him as like a full on starting level player, but the shot is real now. Like it's still very wonky looking, but it goes in and it's on volume, and he's a monster in transition. Um, that's you know that's pretty close to being a starting level player. Um, but well, like, so like here, here's what you do then. Like to me, if you get Kelly Olynyk, I think the floor opens up way more. Yeah, which I think then allows you to potentially move Hero back to the bench and like. Maybe hero just doesn't. Well, yeah, go back that's to the I was gonna say. That's like, I don't think. Like, yeah, I don't think you can. Like that's the problem. But like, if you're playing fucking thirty five minutes a night, like I don't know. But like, if he's playing thirty five minutes a night, it doesn't fucking matter, right? So like, if he comes off the bench or if he starts, because he's probably gonna be closing games at thirty five minutes a night. Yep. Like, if they would go out and get a Kelly Olynyk, like to me, that's the that's that's a smart move for them. More size, shooting processing and passing and playmaking and everything like that that Kelly brings just by being an unselfish guy. That's a really smart move for them that theoretically should not cost a lot. Um, Now maybe Danny Ainge is not the best guy to trade with and Pat Riley and Danny Ainge certainly do not have the best trade uh, history. If you go back and look through some of the Pat Riley quotes about trying to deal with Danny Ainge, uh, I I believe that there is, one that particularly stands out, it is Danny Ainge needs to shut the fuck up and manage his own team. <laughs> was one uh, thing that was stated, time. I believe, back in 2013. So maybe maybe not the easiest deal to get done. So is there another option for them outside of Kelly Olenek? I think what's difficult, too, is even if they got Kelly Olenek, like, that doesn't push them into contender status for me. Like, I think no, that, I agree. that makes them better i think that makes them a more solidified playoff team but then again like it's still not enough um like their trip like victor oladipo is back now i want to go back in and watch more of his minutes uh but i think he's again it's kind of the wild card thing of all right well how do we work him in without you know really getting out of the flow of what we have the benefit is like they don't have a flow at all right now so i don't really think that there's any detriment to playing him you know what he's bringing in defensively um so i think bring finding him as a ball handler just because gabe vincent has really struggled this year like i think he does good things he's really good at you know snaking being in the paint and opening things up but the shot hasn't been there for him and i think that's really mitigated what he can do out of pick and roll so I think like Victor, especially like adding him just as a guy who can less about initiating more like what he can do as a second side guy. But again, the shot has to be there for him. And that has been like very up and down. So it, it's in terms of like actually making moves. Like, again, I think that they're like, I would, I don't know if they have the horses to do it. Um, or I guess I should just say like capital to do it. But like if PJ Washington was to become available, that is like the guy for Charlotte for me. Like, I think he fits in so much to what they do. He's just a smart player. I think he would fit incredibly well alongside Bam. They played together, didn't they? Did they play together for a year at Kentucky? Mm, I want to say PJ missed by a year. I thought it, it, it has to have been close. I can't remember because PJ played two years at Kentucky, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but regardless, like, I think that's like, even though that's still a small front court, like that's where you you start talking. Like I think that's talented enough that I don't care. Like you can have a, obviously a third guy off the bench who is bringing more size and a different look. But to me, like that's the kind of guy who really makes a difference for this Heat team. 
Um, even if it's not like perfect with what they need, I think that fits into more what their mold has typically been. Cause I just don't know what on ball guy they're getting, who is going to come in and, and really change things. Like I, I think they kind of have to make their bed with, uh, they, they made their bed with who they're, with what their guard room is right now. Like, I don't see how you're moving Lowry. Um, I also don't know why, like, I, I think it's, it's in a tough spot because it's like, they need a lot of what Lowry brings while also needing more out of him. So it almost feels like, okay, well, what if we just loosen things up and make it easier on him and not need him to to do it quite as much um, by just yeah. getting better secondary players? Um, but again, like that's a really tough line to, to tell. And then you're already thinking about, okay, well, then what does this look like when he's 37 next year? So it's it's in a it's in a weird spot for Miami. Well, you know, if there's one thing we can count on, it's for Pimp Ron 18 to come up. With another Kuzma team. <laughs> With another Kuzma team, baby. This makes sense. Like this is this is a Kyle Kuzma situation. He gets to go down to Miami, gets to show off the fashion. He actually helps them. Like he, he yep. really would help them a lot, I think. Like that actually I think that that is the guy I would target if I was them. Yeah. I I, I mean I like it. I, I think Kuz fits pretty much anywhere, like especially there. I think he wouldn't really have to change up all that much from what he's doing in Washington right, right. now. Um, which would help. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I have, I have no problems with that one. The, the question is like, what do you move for him? Like, I, I don't know what Miami can do to actually get a Kyle Kuzma because they have some future assets out. And I don't know if this is a situation where with Kyle Lowry at 36, Jimmy Butler at 33, Victor Oladipo at 30, Duncan Robinson, taking up a massive cap number. Like there's no way Washington can take back Duncan Robinson in a Kyle Kuzma deal for salary matching. Like you just can't do that. Yeah. So like I, I find it hard to believe that they would give the best offer in a Kyle Kuzma deal if Washington decides to, you know, kind of tank and move on here. Kyle's much more like if they were able to get to free agency this year. I think that Kyle's yeah. in play for them. Um but yeah, I agree. I just don't – because the issue, too, for 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 Washington is if they're moving Kuzma, then, okay, they need to offload everything. Like, because they're in – like, like we've talked about this, too. Like, they're mm. just in, like, the – well, not offload everything, but, like, yeah, I'm they're not that. really in a position where they can just take back a bunch of players. Like, how is that right. fitting in? How is that working? Because, all right, if you actually want to shift into playing your young guys more, well, that's difficult because none of your young guys are really anybody who – you want running things on ball. Um, so that makes it interesting. Uh, Washington is just a mess. I don't know what to, to think about them. I know they've they've been really unfortunate with injuries this year, to be fair. But, I mean, they're what? I think 0-6 in their last six games. So I know they've lost at least their last five, but I'm pretty sure they lost one before that too. Um, and Porzingis is going to be out for a little bit now. It's just like – it like, like, you're, like you're mentioning, it feels like something is pretty – because this is, we're already hitting like the second year of this happening. Um, so, granted, I think some things have been better than it was last year, but not great. Yeah, Th- they gotta do like they have to do it right. They have to move on. We said that they don't for, they for don't. the Grunfeld years like, for a long time. So it you know it never happened. Um, yeah. Also, just free Daniel Gafford. Somebody get Daniel Gafford. Um, well, it was funny. Like they were doing some interesting, like Gafford Porzingis stuff, and it was Porzingis. looking really good too. Yeah, and, like I don't know, man. 
Yeah. Gafford, I don't think Gafford is the Miami guy necessarily, yeah. but like I, I think that Washington, if they would decide to strip this thing down a little bit, right? Washington could theoretically control a pretty sizable amount of the market here in terms of the trade market. Like they could control the star end of the market with Bradley Beal. They could control like the starter side of the market. Like mm-hmm. if they could move Porzingis and Kuzma, they could control the role player part of the market with like DeLon Wright and Monte Morris and guys like that. Like they theoretically could really do this. You know what I mean? If and they wanted. Yeah. It just depends on if they want to. And that's a Ted Leonsis decision more than it's a Tommy Shepard decision. It seems like, but I don't know if I was them. I think it's time. I just straight up think it's time for them. We're past time to blow this thing up and like make a move. And I know that's shitty for Wizards fans. Like I know that Wizards fans want a winner. Yeah. And they're sick of not making the playoffs. Every Wizards fan I've talked to is like, we just want it to, we want to feel good about our direction. And like, it just doesn't, I mean, I don't, I I don't feel good about their direction. That's part of why I really didn't like the Przingis trade for them. Like I get it on one hand, like, okay, you, You get a guy, and to be fair, like he's played really well this year. Like I think this is the best I've felt about him since um, he came back before he had the injury in the bubble. Like he was playing like a near all NBA year there, and now um, again injured. And I I don't think it's going to be terrible, but uh, yeah, it's they're just in such a weird spot, man. Yeah. Also, by the way, another guy that could like help some teams could also help Miami theoretically is Will Barton. Right. Like if Will Barton can do anything like he's the kind of guy that theoretically makes sense. He hasn't been very good this year, unfortunately, but, you know, I I still think Will could do some things. But because Will hasn't been awesome this year, I would imagine that the cost is low, which probably helps Miami in that circumstance. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, Yeah, it's it's how would you feel about Porzingis to Miami? What are they trading is probably what my question would be. Um, like I think, I mean, it could be interesting. Like I, I think like because he's. I mean, one of the things that's been cool to see is like I think he's grown quite a bit as a passer this year, which has been has been nice. I do wonder like how willing Spo is going to be to. I mean, he's generally been very willing to find ways to work guys in. To be fair, like he's he's not Rick Carlisle, but like I do think that there would be like there could just be some awkwardness in trying to figure out how to get the most out of him while also getting the most out of everyone else. Like, it would just – I mean, in terms of just adding sheer talent, like, I think that if you have the right deal, then I would try it Um, because – There's not really a way to do this for what it's worth unless you include Duncan Robinson. And and that's assuming they don't move Kyle Lowry. And I just feel like Kyle Lowry – like, I don't know. That feels like a team that does – an organization that does well by guys that they sign – and I don't know that they would sign Lowry just to move him a year and a half later. Yeah. Especially like an older Kyle Lowry. I don't know. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It would it would look very weird. Um I well since we I, since we mentioned Gafford, I do think that that is, that is an interesting inflection point. Because I brought this up on Twitter the other day. It doesn't solve everything for the Mavericks, but I would love to see them like take a flyer on somebody like Gafford. Because I do think that one of the things that they're, uh, I mean, like, 
they are in a very, very weird spot with what they're. So let, let's yeah. let's start with just that. Yeah. What have you thought of Dallas this year? I don't like watching them play basketball. Um, I hate watching them play basketball. That is actually my number one takeaway. That team has Luka Doncic, who is one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA, and I fucking hate watching that team play basketball. Yeah, it's not fun. Um, like their offense is just anemic, uh, and I think what is frustrating on one hand is like I think as soon as guys start shooting better this probably looks a little bit differently and maybe they'll talk themselves into saying we don't need to make a move but then again I think the exact same issues are going to come up in the playoffs which again to be fair they made the Western Conference Finals last season but I think the same issues will rear their head Um, I I do struggle with how much this front office just leaned into well we're not going to do much and we'll wait till next year I think with how well Luka is playing that's I would be pretty pissed if they don't do anything at the trade deadline and something significant, not like just we're going to try and pick up an eighth man. <laughs> yeah. Like I think they have to do something more than that. Um, it like the biggest frustration for me has just been the things that worked for them last year. They aren't playing at the same level. Like it's not hitting in the same way. Part of that has been trying to figure out everything with Christian Wood for sure. Um, I don't think that the defensive fall-off is strictly because of the guys that they did move on from. I think a lot of the defensive fall-off does just have to do with the shift that they've made in personnel. I don't think they've played to the same like extent that they did last year in terms of just their communication and overall effort. And granted, like their their defense fell off as the year went on too, to be fair. Um, but overall, like I think that just – I mean, talking to people in Dallas, like the overall – Attentiveness just has not been there generally, even in just watching games too. I felt that, but it's the it's the offense is just gross, man. Like it's the seventh ranked offense, but it's that is the worst seventh ranked offense I've I've seen because it's just a shot making fest. Like Luca is, I mean, granted, Luca's a wizard. He's extremely fun to watch. He does incredible things with the ball in his hands that you can't stop. But the issue is, it's okay. Luca's doing stuff with the ball in his hands, or Spencer Dinwiddie is isolating, it, and it never really feels like there's any kind of secondary stuff going on. It's very much one and done offense. Um, it, I mean, it just hasn't hit in a way that I like. The Luca and Wood minutes are are fine. Like there's good stuff there, but it also just Jason Kidd doesn't feel super willing to lean into that in closing lineups and what that can be. Um, I mean, here's the thing, though. Would you, with the way that that those two players defend? No, I get that. Like, I I totally understand that. Um, But at the same time, too, it's like, okay, well, what other options are there? Like, what else are we supposed to do? What are we leaning into that's making us a better team? And it is not what they're doing right now. And I think part of what's been difficult, too, like, and maybe part of this is just because overall ball movement is worse. Like, Spencer Dinwiddie is having a nice individual season, but I do think that I would really like to see him be more of a secondary guy. Cause like, even though he is a quote unquote secondary on the team, like he plays like a primary, like he's getting. Well, yeah. Like here, here's the question I want to ask you is like a follow up here in terms of the offense. Like you look at Spencer Dinwiddie's box score numbers and they're really, really good. Like he's averaging like 16 points, six, six assists. I think he has like a four to one assist to turnover ratio. He's shooting 41% from three. I feel like. Feel like he doesn't like add much. Weirdly. No, I would agree with that. I don't. I th- like, yeah, no, I don't. 
I don't. His defense has been really bad. I he's just point blank. His defense has not been good enough. Um, he gets blown by constantly. Like he can do some okay things as a help defender, but I don't think that it's always there. And the, the on ball has been bad. If his shot's not falling, it's kind of the same thing we just talked about with Tyler. Like he's averaging five assists, but I think that's more like okay, I don't have a shot. I'm passing the ball. Like it's it feels very like Karis Levert grenade assist more than like straight up. I'm creating real advantages and getting you open shots. Um, and, to, and again, to be fair too, like Dorian Finney Smith has not been the same offensive player this year. Part of that is the shot not being there, but it just doesn't feel like the, the advantages and openings that were there for their secondary players last year have been there in the same way. Like Dorian Finney Smith was awesome putting it all together last year and really, becoming a, a dribble pass shoot wing. Like there's always going to be questions with the shot. Teams are always going to test from the playoffs. But during the regular season, like that was a real guy who can keep the offense moving, operate within it. Um and it just hasn't been good this year in terms of his overall finishing. Yeah. Uh and that's been a problem. And like his handle hasn't felt right either, which is weird after it looking like way better last year. I mean the the one positive thing has been Josh Green. Like I think that they're starting to find more ways to include him make things work but at the same point too like josh green is 22 years old i don't he's still very limited even though he is finding more ways to be impactful um like dwight powell is nice at times but again like dwight is dwight is very good at his role of screening and rolling uh dwight is not awesome at anything else the thing is though that when you have Luka Doncic and you're screening and rolling every possession multiple times. It's a really helpful thing to have out there, right? Yeah, exactly. But it feels like almost, uh, and maybe this is being unfair to Dwight, because I don't mean, I, I think Dwight is still a very capable NBA rotation player, but like it almost feels like Dwight is in that spot of it's like, oh, well, we played JaVale McGee for the first 10 minutes, 10, 10 games of the season. Dwight looks pretty awesome now, doesn't he? Like, it's like, yes, but like, what if you just had a center who was capable or, or just a big who was capable of playing, you know, in more scenarios, being a little bit more versatile, bringing more than just being a screen and roll guy? And I think, like, again, like, Gafford's not perfect, but I think, like, he brings a lot more in theory defensively. Well, not even just in theory, like, he brings a lot more defensively. Foul trouble is always a thing, but yeah. like, I just th- like, it, and it's not just like saying like Gafford, like, okay, like, that could be a fun Kelly Olenek team. I don't know. I wonder if they actually lean into the things that he can do, but it's like, okay, well, what if you start adding more things than just having like these guys who can really only do one or two things? Well, um, then it's, you know, you start talking about like, what, what is, what are we actually trading? You know, what's there? To be I'm trading? like a little bit, I'm a little bit less interested in Kelly for them because they already have Maxi. Maxi does a lot of similar things playing the four as Kelly does is like your combo big. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know if you want to play both Kelly and Maxi together because neither of them are great rim runners for Luca, right? And I feel like you always want that high level rim runner for Luca, or maybe you want like multiple floor spacers out there, but I don't, I don't know. That then leans into like Luca's potentially like worst habits, maybe. Um, I don't know. I feel like that just becomes more ball dominant if you run out like, Dorian Finney-Smith, Kelly Olynyk, and Maxi Kleba in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. Then, like, literally every possession is just grinding down with Luka at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, 
funny statistical anomaly so far this year. I, I think it's more that than like an indicator, but the Mavericks are 0-7 this year when Christian Wood plays 28 minutes or more. They are 7-0 and when he plays 25 to 27 minutes in a game. Interesting. I, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like, so like, I, I wonder if they're looking at it like, you know, may, maybe we want to keep his minutes like in that 25 to 27 minute range because that's when we're most successful. And I think that's kind of like an inconsequential, like weird way to look at it. But also like Christian Wood does bring you real defensive deficiencies. So like if you do try to close with them, I think that it's a problem. So I don't know. It's a it's a weird thing that's happening though, right? Oh, very. Yeah. It's just a weird team, man. Like I don't I don't it's it's hard to have like super concrete opinions on it just because I I mean or not that you can't have concrete opinions on it, but more just like I I feel like I'm just reiterating a lot of the same things I said at the beginning of last year. And it's bland. Um I think bland is the best way to put it. Um well so so like here, here, so let's move on. Let's talk about like what they could do, right? Yeah. The guy that they need is a guy that can be a secondary ball handler, can defend, and can also like knock down shots and play next to Luca as like a super processor, right? Jalen Brunson ticks most of those boxes except for the defensive one, which is why losing Jalen Brunson I think has been such an important critical thing for them. Yeah, and I think it's going to be really hard for them to find something better than Jalen Brunson out there, which is why I kind of thought they just had to pay him whatever he asked for last year and just bit the bullet. Um, it's hard for me to find the guy that like totally lines up. I will say if I was them, this is a team that I would be very interested in taking a flyer on Emmanuel quickly. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, quickly would be awesome there. Like I, I love the idea of what he could be in in, in that group. Um, being like the actual guard who can, um, like he's still again like, I think ironing things out. And part of it is like just him having a bigger role and being encouraged to to be more aggressive because he actually has, he's weirdly had moments this year of like being too pass first, um, which mm-hmm. is like that diminishes his value because like I think like he's a guy who. At his best, like he's like the the ideal combo guard in my opinion. Like he's not Tyrese Halliburton, but he does a lot of the same principles of like even if I'm not putting tons of pressure on the rim, I'm getting paint touches. I the floater is very real for him, um, and he does things so quickly, relocates and moves off the ball well. Like that makes it like feasible for him to really initiate offense. And I think um, if a team like leaned into really playing with pace and and letting him do things like I think that that could be really good for them I still just my biggest things like the Knicks letting him go would be ridiculous but um yeah if he's available then fuck yeah Dallas Which, should do that by the way it's been reported that yeah. like they're considering it that's why I bring him up a thing that hasn't been reported is what Chicago will look to do period right um if this continues along a trajectory where they're you know 20 and 30 come the trade deadline. And it looks like things are a problem there. Do they look to move an Alex Caruso? Cause Caruso is a guy that I would be willing to pay like a substantial amount. If I was Dallas for definitely. 
yeah, no, he would be incredible there. Like that ups their defense automatically. Um, obviously not doing like the full on creator things, but he brings a lot as a passer. Um, yeah, like that's that's a no brainer for me. He'd be a starter for them. I think he would be their starting two guard or starting point guard with Luca doing whatever Luca does or whatever yeah. you want to call Luca positionally, right? Um, it, it's then you kind of just look around and it's kind of hard to find the teams that are like totally out of it. I mean, Eric Gordon is theoretically a guy that could make sense, but I, I would almost want someone that's better at the point of attack defensively, which is why Caruso, I think, makes more sense than Eric Gordon and why I actually worry a little bit about the quickly idea. Um, but I just think that at the end of the day, they need to find someone that can be like a you know point guard that can also shoot and take some some of the load off of Luca. Mm-hmm. Um is there anyone else out there that you look at and think that's an interesting fit that could work? Uh, not really. Cause I feel like people will mention Bojan, but I don't love the Bojan fit in, in Dallas. Like I think like, obviously there's just like a level that he brings that guys on the roster don't have. So on one hand, yes, that's an upgrade, but also I think if you're not really being creative in how you're getting him the ball, um, and also really incorporating movement sets, which I just don't trust Dallas's offense to do right now because even yeah. despite the, the offense ranking well, like it's not good offense. Like in terms of like actually being comp- complex and not that an offense has to be complex to be good, but you get what I'm saying. Like I think yeah, yeah, yeah. like they need to do more to, to be capable of really making things happen. Um, and I just don't trust them in doing that. So to me, it's like just adding another guy who is not really a great ball mover who is shot or or miss and it just it, it gets wonky. Uh I just don't know who, like who's who's out there that's really available. Like this 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 feels like a really weird trade market here. Like you mentioned, I feel like Washington just has kind of a stranglehold on on what this could be. Yeah. I agree. Um I don't think look, is there anyone else you want to talk about here team wise? Because we still gotta to get to the Jairus Walker thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe we'll save this for another time. But those are the two teams that I think like desperately need a shakeup. The Heat yeah. and the Mavs have to do something, I think. And it's hard for them both because they have limited assets. Like the Mavs still have the pick out from the Porzingis deal. The Heat still have a pick out uh, from what deal? I can't remember what deal. But like they, they don't have their full capacity of picks here. Mm-hmm. And anytime that that's the case, it becomes a little bit harder to make a move. And... I don't know. It's it's going to be a tricky one, I think, moving forward for both of those teams. But let's yeah. move on. Let's get to the thing that I think we're both really excited to talk about is Jairus Walker. Yes. So let's dive in. Jairus Walker went three or four from the field. I think he had like eight points in the game against Alabama over the weekend. Houston got up big, like 15 points in the second half in that game, and then Alabama came back behind an awesome coaching performance more than anything I thought from Nate Oates, an awesome lead guard performance from Jaden Bradley um, to beat Houston on its home court. Fascinating game for a number of reasons, but we wanted to talk about Jairus Walker, who I'll start here just to give a little bit of time uh, context on where I was on Jairus. I've always liked Jairus. I haven't always loved him. Uh, I've always thought that the offensive skill level gets a little bit overrated personally. Uh, I don't totally know what he does at an NBA level in terms of skill offensively right now, 
while also just absolutely fucking adoring all of the motor, the aggressiveness, the energy, the fact that he's a six foot eight powerhouse with a seven foot two wingspan that like, I think has some potential to play like small ball center in the NBA at some point, if it really breaks right. Where were you on Jarris coming into the year? Let's start with that conversation. Yeah, I had him like top seven coming into the year. Um, I was really excited about Jairus. And I think what's been interesting in this year is like you're you're mentioning a little bit. Um, I think what is hard with a guy like Jairus is trying not to bake in what could be and envisioning what he could be instead of, you know, like noting, okay, like there are real limitations here. And I think that that's something I've really had to focus in on more this year because like just to add, add like, you know, added context, like when I really first started scouting hard, um, in t- like the K draft. Um, yeah. I went back and I watched IMG versus Montverde. Uh, so it's after Cade's gone. So it's that's like the Caleb Houston, Jalen Duran team at Montverde. Dariq's there. Like that. I mean, that's one of the most loaded prospect games I've watched in the last couple of years. And um, I watched Jairus for the first time as a junior. And I I like looked and I'm like, is this like an RSCI industry plant? And like then yeah, I saw him. <laughs> His next year, like I mean, like to be fair, like you 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 got the idea watching. Like, okay, this kid's sixteen and he's like he's six eight, two fifty, and looks like he could be starting at defensive end for the Chicago Bears. Like, this is insane. Yeah. And but like you you saw the ideas, like okay, you can, you can handle a little bit. Like he's really physical, but like what does this mean? Like he can't really shoot. I don't believe in his touch. Like I don't know what's going on here. And then I watched him last year at IMG. And that jump up in skill was like insane. Like the the, yeah. the yeah. feel improved. Like there were real playmaking flashes, and not just flashes. Like consistent. Like he would handle large parts of IMG's offense. Um, like the the defense became like like you mentioned, like the real ability to play as a small ball five to be in a, a really impactful rim protector, switchable. Um, and I think the shot was still a real work in progress, but like it really showed real signs last year of improving. What's been so weird this year, and I, this, I know this is a big thought, but like wrangling it all together, and what made it so interesting about him going to Houston is like, okay, you had this guy who his whole prospectum is like coming up in, I am a wing figuring out, or wing forward big, figuring out what the hell I am by doing all these things. And he goes to Houston, a team that is, by and large, just about the best team in the country. Obviously, they lost this game, but I think they're still right up about there. Um, and it's like, okay, well, your role is going to be a lot smaller than what that was. And it's like, I think in some hand, some ways, not that I have an answer for this, I just I always wonder, it's like, okay, well, if he goes the Juju Jackson route, what does that look like for him to start the year instead of you know getting into a, a reduced role? Um, but then, again, like we're talking about, like, he does not look good in the reduced role offensively. I think that there are some things that looked a little bit better in the Alabama game, but that's more so speaking on how rough it was to start the year. Um, like he is second guessing a lot. He's checking himself out of a lot of things. And then offensively, like the physicality has not been there, which has been weird to watch. Like he's taking these floaters all the time. And to be fair, like he has touch on floaters, but he's six eight. 250 like you got to go up with stuff like there was a play in in the Alabama game where he's on far side of the floor I mean close side of the floor towards the camera during the second half um gets the ball uh probably like five feet in from the corner takes a step up 
And instead of like, he, he could have dunked it, like straight up just could have dunked it and throws cross court pass to, I, I believe it was Rylan Griffin in the corner. And it's like, good. Like, I, I get the idea. For, for like, people who don't know, Rylan Griffin plays for Alabama. <laughs> oh, no, not, not Rylan Griffin. My bad. I'm losing my mind. Uh, I think it was probably Shedder Sasser, but point, point being, um, like, makes a really good pass. And I get the why, but it's also the, I need you to 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 like take the shot at the rim, like so. It's been a lot of stuff process wise where it feels like he just doesn't he doesn't have his feel right now has has been rough offensively. Well, and then there was that moment that you know kind of talks about what you're saying, where he set a screen on the empty side of the court, far side from the camera, and I believe it was Sasser hit him with a little pocket pass, and he takes a dribble, cocks it back and tries to throw down on literally the entire team and gets fouled and goes to the foul line. I'd like to see him do that more. Yeah. Just like be that guy. I think that's what's hard to, because like a lot of his role at Houston has just been, okay, spot up in the corner and cut baseline when you have opportunities. There haven't been like tons of role opportunities for him. That's what I thought felt a little bit better in this game. He got more opportunities to screen and roll a little bit. Um, and like you, I mean, like that play was, that was the exact idea. It's like, okay, he doesn't have to think it's one dribble and go. Like, I believe in him to, to be able to do that because the issue right now is like a lot of his catch and go stuff. Like he's gotten called for a ton of travels this year because of yeah. just like yeah. he hesitates for a sec. And like, if you can remove that hesitation, I think that's where you can really see some of the good things happening because there were other opportunities. Like he, uh, was doing some stuff as as a DHO guy or not even DHO. Well, yeah, I think it was DHO stuff and like, or even just like ghost screening. And he had like a, a DHO take, uh, I believe in the first half ends up being like just a drop off pass to, to the, to the, to the dunker spot. And like, that's perfect. Like that's the stuff I want to see. Like, obviously, yes, you need to see him be aggressive and taking those shots at the rim and, and just being around the room. Cause this is a guy, like he, his free throw rate should be astronomical. Like with should be, yeah, exactly. Like, and it's not right now. Um, so I, I think that we saw good glimpses in the Alabama game, but also it's it's been telling of just kind of how uh, how rough his acclimation has been to to, to okay. get ready at the college game. Trivia time, Mark Schindler. Oh boy, how many possessions per synergy do you think Jarris Walker has had as a role man this year in pick and roll? Uh, less than 10. The number is three. Yep. How many do you think he's scored on? None of them. Three. Oh. <laughs> scored on all of them. <laughs> I went. is a legit guy that can do this. Like, I'd love to see them just run ball screen actions for him. Here's the other thing they did super well in that game. They didn't utilize him with it, but they utilized uh, Jawan Roberts with it more so. Love Jawan. They used, yeah, Jawan Roberts as a DHO guy. And because they knew Noah Clowney was being super aggressive, hard hedging in the middle of the court, mm-hmm. they would use Roberts as a denial DHO guy. And then he'd just turn and get a wide open lane to the basket. He had one dunk that way and one finish that way, where they were super smart and just like schemed ways to get a guy open. I think Jarris can do that stuff Definitely. for sure. It worked with Juwan Roberts, right? So, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it on some level. But, like, I think they have the versatility with both of those guys to be able to do it with both of those guys is more my point. And just, like, for background here, Jarris Walker so far is averaging 9.4 points, 
6.7 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 1.1 steals, 1.1 blocks per game, shooting 47.6% from the field, 37.5% from three. Now, all of this comes back to the fact that, like, he has skill for being a guy that's six foot eight, 240 pounds. I don't know if he has NBA skill right now. You know what I mean? Like it feels a lot like to me, it's a different player and a different type, but like when Jaden McDaniels was coming up out of Seattle, I always thought Jaden McDaniels looked like a great ball handler for someone who is six foot nine, six foot 10, but not actually a guy that could handle the ball in the NBA right now because guys will just come down, they'll dig on your handle, they'll cause you all sorts of problems. I didn't think he'd create shots in the NBA. And if you looked, he's been a very effective player in the NBA, but he hasn't done it by creating shots, right? He's done it by being a good corner shooter and being a super high-level defender. When I watched Jarris, I thought it was more that in terms of skill level. He's nowhere near the shot creator that Jaden was, but I think he's a better passer and you know he could get into the lane as like a, you know, spotting up in the wing, pump fake, attack, close out, go. Or short roll off of a ball screen, catches, dribble once, Euro steps, tries to finish. And you mentioned the idea of him settling for the floater a lot. He's just trying to get to that Euro step floater all the time, it feels like. Like, it feels like that's that's the thing he feels most comfortable doing. Like, he has taken, it looks like, 13 floaters this year. So he's taking more than one of those per game and he's taken 47 shots at the rim, which like almost feels like not enough. Right. Like for what he's capable of, I feel like he's a real potential finisher. And like, I guess that part of it is scheme and part of it is like, so like here, here, here's what I will, I'll, I'll, you know, hit the ball back to you. As if we're like playing tennis right now. Do you think that there is a good team in the country that he could initiate offense for right now? Because I'm actually like not totally sure. Like we can talk a lot about the fact that they have Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser and all these guys that are going to get most of the opportunities for Houston, right? But like, let's put him on. I'm trying to think of a team, right? Like off the top of my head, that's like pretty decent that maybe could use like a four man initiator, right? Like put him on, put him on, say Gonzaga, right? Where their guards are struggling, right? And you could play him next to Timmy and theoretically like he and Timmy could work reasonably well together if he can shoot. Do do you think that like that would be an effective source of offense right now for a college team to do that if he was in a different situation? No, probably not. Um, yeah. I think because like you mentioned too, like he's really struggled um, seeing guys coming uh, outside of his vision, which like that sounds like, duh, like, okay, of course he is. But like he just hasn't really had a good feel for help coming, which has led to it feels like at least half his turnovers have been off that when he'll he'll drive in and then a nail nail help comes. It's like, oh, there's no help here. Um, he doesn't really seem to be sensing that coming. And I think like part of it too is like, again, like, okay, well, if he was, He's somebody who, like, I would love to see get face-up opportunities in a in a cleared outside of the floor, and yeah, like like we saw with Jalen Duran at times uh, with Memphis. Like, I think that's a segmented way to get him to to pick apart things with his passing 
or get a one-on-one opportunity. And again, like not saying that it's effective offense, but it do, is. Do you know like, the team that actually does that well? Dayton did it really well last year with Theron Holmes. Yeah. Like, I think that that is, like, if I was them, I'd be looking at that offense as much as anything. Don't look at Dayton's offense this year. Yeah. It's a fucking train. <laughs> it is. <bad. laughs> but last year, I think they did some really interesting things with Theron Holmes. So, like, yeah. that's, that's another example. You can find ways to do this, I think. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think I still – What's uh, like, I don't know. I never viewed him as like, I think this guy's going to be like uh, some super high level initiator. But I think the idea is more like as he, as he does continue progressing, like I think the idea for him is more like becoming that four or five, like that combo big who can do just a little bit of everything while being, you know, starting to hone out like a standout skill. Like I, and to me, as much as the offense has been a struggle, what has been really awesome is that I think the defense has really popped for me. Like, yeah, we didn't talk about it. like the the defense in the yeah. Alabama game was legitimately awesome. Like, really, he good. had really, really like good. he's special in the fact that like as like he's been one of the best low men in the country. Like the way that like there are guys who will like they'll put a foot in the lane as a tag. Like, no, he two hand tags every single roller every single time. And he had that one uh, – I mean, it's been clipped a million times by now on Dally, but, like, second half um, – or, no, is it, it's first half, and he does his tag. I don't remember who he tags on to. It probably was on Noah Clowney. And Javon Quinterly goes to throw a pass cross court into the, the – skip it to the slot after, you know, he's helped and makes just full-on recovery to the slot, steals the ball, and – gets fouled on the other end with gets free throws. And like that kind of thing is that's a routine play for him. Like he had stuff where I felt like there were moments, especially like in the Oregon game earlier this year, I felt like he was uh, pretty wary to be helping. Like he seemed like a little bit frozen, but this game, like he teetered on over helping at times, but to like the level where it was like, he was just making shit happen. Like he had a block um, coming from behind on, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but like point being like he was, defending in the slot and was, like saw this drive happen. It was like, I think this guy's going for the shot comes down, gets the block from behind. Like that's the kind of stuff I view with him. Like, and I mean, it was like, like we talked about with Jaron earlier in terms of trying to scheme guys out. It felt like Alabama was doing everything they could to get him away. Like as, as the game wore on, like, um, so not to, not to, not to this again, like not to the same level, but like, I think like, Houston was really switching everything. They're like, okay, we need to get you off of our ball handlers. And then he's still in the slot and being impactful. And um, I, yeah, I've really enjoyed his, his defense. I think he's awesome on defense. I think he's awesome on defense in terms of awareness, in terms of always being in the right position, in terms of help defense. What do you think of his on-ball defense? I think he is the – Difficult product of somebody who is, again, not same player, but it's like kind of like watching Jaden Ivey play defense, but at six foot eight, like his steps aren't always perfect. Um, but he's so athletic that he can make up for it a lot of the time. And I think there will yeah. be growing pains with that at the next level for sure. But I think like the way that he's just improved technique wise off the ball and as a, as a rim protector makes me feel like he's going to be able to make that happen. Um, I think I like ideally he's much more of a switch guy, like who you're not asking to stay in front like for forever, but I think he's good enough at moving his feet and using his length to be able to really attack somebody. 
at, at the top of at the top of like if you're running a zone, you can do that. Um, or even if like again, if he's just switched out onto somebody, like I think that that's going to be really difficult for teams to guard. But again, like not somebody that I think you should be like, okay, well, go guard that guy and be on an island. Like I think that that's asking for problems. Um, or not. Mark is gone. I don't know where Mark went. He'll be back at some point, I think. Um, here he is again. Sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what I just hit, but it exited. <laughs> my bad. Um, but yeah, point being, like that's that's not going to be a strong suit to, to do that right now. But I do think. So, that- so here would be my next question to you. Where do you think the shot is? That's ultimately like, you know, the swing skill here is his jumper. Maybe I'm too biased, but I think the shot has really improved um, from where it used to be. I still think in terms of actual efficacy at the next level, it needs to improve release. Uh, Like I think his release needs to be a little bit higher. I think that it needs to be quicker. Um, But from the corners, I think I feel really confident what that looks like already. Like he doesn't hesitate, but he doesn't hesitate on the corner shots. At least I think the above the break stuff really needs work. I don't know if he's ever going to be somebody who's really shooting off any kind of movement. Um, but even just being like somebody who can be a stationary guy in the slots, um, I think that that's coming in time. And anybody I've talked to at IMG or Houston has only spoken. Anybody's going to say this, but like, and I think it's played out. Like just his work ethic is apparently pretty, pretty damn good. Um, so I feel good about the shot growing and getting better. Um, I, but again, like I think it's more so like it's getting to a level of being respectable rather than being good, like maybe like a 36% shooter on like four game or something like that. So it's not perfect, but um, I do think that it's going to get there in time. Yep. Okay. What is the role that makes sense? I guess is my question. Like, yeah. let's yeah. say it all goes right. Let's say that like everything developmentally for him breaks the way we want it to. What is the role? That's a great question. I think what makes him fascinating is I feel like he is very much like he has to be with the right team. Like he's actually, I, I like, I mean, easy enough to say, I feel like you can say it about anybody, but he's the guy I wish if I could do anything to get him in Miami. Like I think that, that a, like a coaching staff that has like a very direct plan of how to get him involved Um and get him reps that are meaningful. Cause again, like you're just force feeding him creator reps makes no sense. Like that's not how I view him. Um, but like, okay, can we really focus on working him in as a DHO threat, working him in as a short roll guy? Cause those are the ways where I'm like, I think that if you end up getting him to be somebody who's a creator, you start there. Like, I think like you start with segmented decision-making like, okay, these are the things that we're going to ask you to do and improve on. Those are things that I think that he already has to a degree. And I think could really pop at the next level. Um, And, but again, like, okay, like let's say like if he were in Dallas right now, he would, he would be a fish out of water playing for Dallas. I think, like, I think that he would really struggle with that. I think he would really struggle being in a place where it's just like stand and, you know, you'll get the ball at some point. You just take shots and attack closeouts, and that's really it. Um, so I think, yeah, it has to be a team that's, like, really bought into who he can be. Um, but I think, like, again, just to speak on ultimate role, like, he's in that hard spot of being a basketball player who's, like, potentially really good at some things. But I think 
again, like I tend to just lean back on, I think the defense is going to be so good that he gets a lot of opportunities to really figure things out. But the first team is the most important for, for that happening. Um, so the role so is like, like, ideally, I think he's somebody who plays with like alongside a stretch five. Um, like I think that would be best for him. Like, you know, to, right. to really get the most out of what he can do as a screener and roller and, um, getting those opportunities, I think, yeah, playing alongside somebody who's more of a pop threat at the five would be good for him. So, like, here would be, like, the ideal, right? Like, say the Pacers end up at 14th overall or something like that because they just barely miss out on the playoffs and they decide to re-sign Miles Turner, right? Putting Jarris in an offense that can be a bit motion-heavy with Ben Matherin. With Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Duarte, Andrew Nemhard, having the spacing of Miles Turner. That's kind of the like putting him at the four is their long term four, playing that role that they're having Jalen Smith play a lot of the time right now. That's kind of the idealized, like I'm trying to put it in terms for people that like is a little bit more concrete, I guess. Like that that's almost exactly what you're talking about, it sounds like. Right? Yeah. I think it it what's tough is it I think it almost has to be better than that. Um, because just Miles is like he's still not really getting guarded as a three point threat, even though he's shooting like forty two percent from deep this year. So it makes it like I'm not yeah. trying to be like nitpicky and annoying, but um no, because no, no, then no, I wonder I, I think too, that that's an important point. Like because yeah. then I'm if thinking Miles like, Turner isn't a good enough shooter for this to work, it's hard to find that guy then at the five. For it to yeah. like really be idealized with Jarris. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think like what what does help though is I feel like, especially with what that offense has been this year, by virtue of like how much they play like transition in the half court, I think they really mitigate a lot of those issues. Um, and I feel good because like they've really tried to to get some of the short roll stuff out of Isaiah Jackson this year, and it just it has not been there. So I do right. think that if and I actually I'd have a lot more confidence in it popping for Jarris than I have had for Isaiah Jackson. Um, I, agree I think you. that that could look good. So I think like again like it would be okay. You're doing this with the idea of in two years we get to the right. point where we're not really too worried about what the spacing is in the half court. Um, but that's with like okay Jarris' shot comes along. You still have Miles Turner there. Um, but again like I still just think like I view him so much as like being that guy who could make it work. It's so enti- – that's what's – that's it's a trap because it's like it's, – that's an unfair way to put it about a guy. But just in terms of the skill set, um, it's almost like – it feels like a trap because it's like the idea of like, oh, well, he can – you can get so much out of this. But really, there's so much that has to go on to make it work in an idealized setting too. Is, is it maybe putting him between Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic in Denver? And playing the Aaron Gordon role and just trying to wreak havoc everywhere kind of thing? Yeah, I think that that could be really fun for him. Um, Yeah. I would love to see that. But here's what I would say about that, though. So he'd be able to operate as a cutter, but with Jokic, you then lose a lot of the short roll stuff because they wouldn't end up doing that with him. So... Yeah, this is kind of why I'm a little bit lower on Jairus. I I say all of this to say, like, this is why I have some concerns with him. And have him more in like the 20-ish range as opposed to like, I've seen some people that are like, this guy's a lottery pick. This guy's like, you know, a potential top 10 guy. I just can't get there because it's hard for me with the role. Because I I don't see him ever as a volume three-point shooter. 
I see him maybe getting to the point where he can like hit a spot three, but like, I, I don't, I, I don't like the shot enough to where I project that necessarily. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. And I think to just to credit too, like I, I think, I mean, just based on our, our, our speaking, like I was higher on him headed into the year. He's definitely dropped for me. Like he would still be in the lottery, but I'm talking like 10 to 14. Like I would not have him in the top 10 right now based on what this yeah. has looked like. Um, I still believe a lot in what his trajectory can be. And I, I do have a good feeling about how the rest of this year could handle out for him. Um, but I totally agree. I think that it's really made me rethink about what his offense is. Cause like, again, just like based on what the trajectory felt like the last two years, um, it really felt like this year would be like, oh yeah, like this is it's gonna pop. Like he's going to go play for a potential national champion, and it's it's been it's been a little bit more tough sledding. Um, but what does make it interesting too, like again, not the same player, but I think we had some of the same discussions about Jalen Dern at the beginning of last year. Like it felt like it took him a little bit of time to really ease into things. The defense not in the same way. Like at least for me, I felt like before they really started to lean into him more as being a guy who can, who can operate as a post playmaker um, and doing some of those things, it felt like, again, not to, not to the same degree, but I do think like in terms of thinking like, okay, this could look a little bit different in a month. So, so how is, so here, here's what I would say to that. Jalen Duran is making an impact in the NBA right now, largely by being six foot 11 with a seven foot six wingspan, right? Yeah. Like he is, rebounding the hell out of the ball. He's being a good rim protector. He's finishing reasonably well around the basket. Like he's just doing the big man things, right? Which is super valuable. And he's brought some switchability defensively and he's been pretty effective as a rookie defender so far, especially for someone who is like 19 years old, right? I I don't mean to like, you know, shit on what Jalen Duran has done this year. I I just say it to say that like, Jarris doesn't have the six foot eleven, seven foot six wingspan to fall back on. He's six foot eight with a seven two wingspan. So if he's that, like if he's more of like a dirty work guy in the way Jalen Duran has been so far, I worry can he be as effective at it as like a Jalen Duran is in the NBA? And yeah, I, I know no, that like you're saying you're saying something different than what I'm saying, but yeah. I'm like trying to like put it in NBA terms in terms of like the way that it's borne out for Jalen on the court. Yeah, no, no, that's those are those are totally fair points. Um, yeah, and I think it's, it's obviously it's, it's different for sure, but um, no, exactly. Like if if Jarris is getting to the point where he's like pretty strict with small ball five, then I think it makes it a lot harder, um, without a yep. doubt. Um, especially just thinking about like who some of the other guys in this draft are. Like I'm right there with you. So let's play my favorite game just to like fuck with Mark Schindler, right? Oh boy. This guy or that guy. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Okay. Uh, Jarris Walker or Gigi Jackson? Jarris for sure. Just because of the defense, right? Yeah. I have a lot more confidence in him just having like a concrete skill that's going to keep him on an NBA court right now. So, who do you think is further ahead, Jarris Walker or Gigi Jackson offensively? Neither. Um, like, uh, like the I, I think Gigi is like substantially further ahead. To be honest, I probably can't get there yet. I just like the overall like the overall passing feel is just like I know that the shot making yeah. chops are really interesting. Yeah. 
I it's just a, it's a tough archetype for me. Um, I want to see a lot more, and it's all again like you have to bring up like well, Gigi is should be a senior in high school right now. So I do think it's yeah. it's cl- close, but I would probably Gigi is more now. than two years younger than Jarris. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. Like I, I would take Gigi. I would take the flyer on Gigi and see if the defense translates. But you're you're in that range, it sounds like, with Jarris, yeah, right? Definitely. Okay. So Keontae George or Jarris Walker? Keontae. Okay. Um Jarris Walker or Jet Howard. Jet Howard. Jet Howard. Dude, okay. I just need to I need to riff real quick. What Jet Howard started has started to show like the last week like i don't want to get like overly hyped just because of a game against minnesota in in december but like the things he's starting to show comfortably on ball is like even with the the defensive concerns that we've talked about like that's talking like close to top 10 for me like that is like to me like that's i would have him over jaris right now um, so I have Jet at 13 right now for what it's yeah. worth. So I'm I'm not far off on you with that. Yeah. Uh Jarris Walker or Cason Wallace. That's ooh. I think it would be team dependent, but I probably have Cason right now. Okay. Bryce Sensabaugh or Jarris Walker? Jarris Walker. Agree. Chris Murray or Jarris Walker? Jarris Walker. Agree. Uh Grady Dick or Jarris Walker? Uh, same thing as Case, and I think it's team sensitive, but I'd probably have Grady over him right now. Okay, I would actually go Jarris in that one. I think. Okay, um, my really fun one, Donovan Klingon or Jarris Walker. <laughs> it's Jarris Walker. I'm I'm taking Jarris Walker. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I would too. But I love jo- I love shout Donovan out Klingin. to shout out to Donovan Klingon. He's been he's been like talk about impact freshman man. Like yeah, he's a large yeah. reason for why UConn's a national title worthy team this year. Like he's been incredible off the bench for them. Okay, so this is going to be the full moment where we transition now. Brandon Miller or Jarris Walker? Uh, probably. Well, it would be it would be Brandon. Um. Because, yeah, I'll, I'll let you transition, but yeah, it would be Brandon. So Brandon Miller played in this game. Brandon Miller went 0 for 8. He had 8 points on 8 of 9 from the field, or from the free throw line, I'm sorry. I thought he made a bigger impact in this game than Jarris did because the way that Alabama utilized him as a screener and as an off-ball movement guy, I think showcased everything about why he is such a threatening player and why having a guy that is six foot nine, not six foot five or six foot six, that can shoot like he can and shoot off of movement like he can is such a dangerous threat. Like they were just running screen action after screen action in the second half involving Brandon Miller and involving the gravity that he has going away from the ball in order to open everything up for everything else that they were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was really, really important and really, really impressive that he was out there, even if he wasn't the one affecting the box score in that game. Uh, And frankly, like I didn't think he played all that well in that game, but I thought his impact on winning 
was greater than like an eight rebound or an eight point oh for eight game uh, that you would see typically. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I don't, I don't know if I would say it's like substantially better than Jarris, just because again the Jarris defense was so freaking good. Um, but maybe, I mean, maybe I, substan- I still, if I said substantially, I'm sorry. I, I no, no, you I didn't say substantially. I was just processing yeah. that in my head. Um, yeah, I think I just want to, I, I just want to riff on this really quick. I have been incredibly fucking annoyed by the way people have talked about Brandon Miller this year. Um, oh, okay, I, let's go. Yeah, Give it to I, me. I get the concerns about him as a two-point shooter and finisher inside the arc. Those are very fair and relevant. If you have those concerns, and you have had them since the beginning, as I think most people have, awesome. But I think like the way that it continually gets broadcast is like this major, like, oh, well, you're, you were an idiot for having him here or here. Like, get over yourself, man. Like, I, I just – I really struggle with I, – I, I tweeted a thread about this. I just really struggle with the way that people talk about prospects in general, like on Twitter, on podcasts, like I, yes, there are flaws and I think it's important to talk about them. It's not that we're not supposed to be critical in, in analysis, but also like, dude, what are we, what are we doing here? If, if you're going online and like having this entire tirade of tweets because somebody had Brandon Miller in their top 10 and you think that's stupid, like just, it's 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 a little bit ridiculous to me, and I think again, like you're mentioning too, it just yes, the the this is this is how I want to go about it. Like the two point scoring is a legitimate problem. Like the scoring on drives is a legitimate problem. His footwork in the paint, a legitimate problem. But let's look at it like this, okay? He is what he has shown this year has been like legit, legit shooting from outside. Legit shooting off movement, legit pull up creation and stuff from deep, and I think yes, we we need to see it in a larger size sample size to see it translate. But again, he's six foot nine doing this. The handle has been well; it is really wide and loose at times. Like he's six foot nine, he can snake dribble into the paint and get into areas and maneuver inside. And like, no, he's not a three level scorer right now, but he has shown a little bit of passing at his size while being a legitimate movement shooter and that's really damn good. And that's without being a complete defensive negative too. Um, so I just, I, I, I maybe part of that is just like, I tend to be really glass half full because I hated how I was talked about when I was an athlete. But like, I also just think again, like sometimes I really just hate the way that flaws get um, overly uh, nitpicked to a way where yes, it's true that they matter, but also like, okay, what if we talk about why they matter because of what their game really is instead of just being like that? So sorry for, for the giant rant, Sam, but like it, it has really frustrated me recently. So look, I, I rely on you for these things to know the temperature and the barometer of what the internet thinks about people. Uh, because I don't look <laughs> for many you're of smarter the than me. Yeah. that you're talking about. Uh, and because like, frankly, I am someone where I feel like I like to go in where my thought processes and like evaluations are kind of unimpeded mm-hmm. and like I don't have some sort of preconceived notion beyond what I've seen and beyond like, you know, just like a recruiting ranking, right? Sure. Like I, I like to have, you know, I, I use recruiting rankings as a watch list because of, you know, it's, it's easiest, right? And NBA yeah. teams do this. Like it's not nobody ranks based off of recruiting rankings. It's more just like, this is what we need. This is who we need to see. This is what we need to see. Right. Um, 
<laughs> I think that people underestimate how hard it is to find guys that are six foot nine movement shooters. They're like, you can run off of screening actions at 19, 20 years old. I don't know if Brandon's turned 20 yet, but he's very close. Mm-hmm. Um, if he hasn't, um, that you can run off of real actions and that they can fire and shoot. It's very hard to find that. It's even harder to find those guys that can defend and like defend in space a little bit. Cause Brandon's not like a soup, like he's not Jairus Walker defensively. He's not anywhere near that in terms of like making an impact all over the court, but he's switchable and he can deal with a lot of different mismatches and a lot of different matchup kind of situations. Right. That alone, like I, I hate to be reductive about stuff and look like I have to write a fucking 125,000 word draft guide at some point. Like I will be writing critical things about Brandon Miller at some point. Right. Because that's part of it. Now I like to think that I write about things in a way that shows that there is potential for improvement. Um, I think frankly, I've gotten a lot better at that over the last couple of years particularly I think as I came up and when I was younger, I think I was kind of a dickhead, but like, I, I think it's part of the growing and maturing process with this stuff and wanting to see guys succeed. Like I genuinely, I come to all of this with like, unless I hear that you are like a terrible human being off the court and I don't really like to report that stuff. Um, I, I'm going to root for you to succeed at the end of the day. Like I, I just want those guys to be successful point blank. I want prospects to have the most success possible. I don't give a fuck if my rankings are wrong. Like I just had some dude like that's a Raptors like YouTuber go live because of our Scotty Barnes conversation where he was like, Oh yeah, you had Scotty Barnes at, you know, six on your board instead of four. And you like Jalen Suggs more. So now you're like stuck in your opinion. I like was so publicly strong about Scotty Barnes last year, like after he played well, because I don't care if I'm wrong. Like I care if I'm wrong just from like an evaluation perspective, but like I'm not too big mm-hmm. to admit when I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's cool. It's whatever. Right. Um, in, in the case of Brandon, based off of what you're saying, I, I just, hope that like people don't like lock in I guess on stuff like I think it's kind of silly to like do that these kids are fucking 19 years old in a lot of cases sometimes they're 17 like in Gigi Jackson's case that's so young there's still so much time for these guys to improve and in Brandon's case I think what he has to improve is fixable like sometimes guys just don't have touch right and I think the touch is like this inherent thing that is you, you kind of have it or you don't. It's hard to fix that in a lot of ways. Um, Brandon, a lot of it is just like footwork based. And like some of the shit he does from like a mechanics perspective, more so than a physical perspective or a touch perspective. And he's already really good. Like, I think that there are some processing stuff I'd like to see improve. I think that there is some... Other stuff that like maybe maybe he doesn't ever get to like a super high level point, but if you're six foot nine and you can shoot and you're not a liability defensively because you can take on a lot of different assignments and like be switchable, it's hard to get that guy outside of the lottery. 
every NBA team is looking for guys like this. These are some of the most valuable archetypes in the NBA. Like I have as many, like I have Brandon in the like 10 to 14 range right now, or like the nine to 14 range, not the um, top seven that some people have them. I I really like Brandon and I, I think he's terrific, but I have like concerns about what the upside is. But even if he doesn't ever figure out the on ball stuff, he's still a good movement shooter that is, six foot nine and is not going to be like a liability defensively. And that's helpful. It's just helpful to an NBA team now. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's a great point. Like one of the things that I always think about too, just like, like you mentioned in terms of movement shooting, um, think about how many teams in the NBA could use Doug McDermott. Like the answer is every team. And Brandon, I don't know if he's going to get to that level of shooter, but like same idea well, not being somebody you have to worry, in theory, about getting played off the court in the playoffs. Like, that's incredibly important in, like, every facet of really, like, just building out an offense. Um, and then you talk about, like, okay, what he can potentially bring if, if he can really develop out some more of his ability to, to see passes. And, like, he's already mm-hmm. started to so- show some stuff with making some of the basic pick-and-roll reads. And, like, when you have that kind of shooting gravity – and you can just make the basic pick and roll reads, like playing alongside a decent screener or roller, like then you're cooking with grease. So like, yeah, exactly. I'm right there with you. Like he's he's an incredibly fun prospect. And I think a lot of it too, like you mentioned the footwork, but I think even like just finishing through contact, part of that is the footwork for sure, but also like just getting stronger. Um, like yeah. he is um, like every bit of like 190 at, at, at best right now, it feels like. Right. Um, so I feel like, yeah, again, just like getting stronger throughout his core, just adding a little bit of weight and finding new ways to, like, cause he's pretty contact averse right now, too. So, like, finding ways to yep. not throw up, falling away stuff, like, that's going to be really big for him. But again, like, that's stuff that takes guys until they're like 24, 25 to figure out sometimes. So he's got a good base and it's just kind of building up from there. Okay, Mark, we wanted to talk about movies at some point. I know that. Have we have we talked Smile? I can't remember. Did we do that last week or no? We have not. We, uh, we, we texted about it, but we did not talk about it on the pod. Which I, I So let's give everyone an out here. So Smile is a movie that has made like almost $100 million at the American box office. So I would imagine that like many people have seen it. But if you haven't seen it yet, this is your out. This is where it's time for you to move on. Uh, Mark and I are going to talk about it. And it's kind of one of those movies that's like a jump scare horror movie. So it's going to be a little bit hard, I think, to not spoil. So this is your 30 seconds of me rambling that gave you every chance to get out of this conversation. Okay, Mark, give me your thoughts on Smile, a movie that I quite liked um, and gave a pretty high rating on Letterboxd, I think. I loved it. I think I gave it a four out of five on Letterboxd, um, which yep. normally I'm like, I like I tend to just give it a lot of threes. Um, I Dude, I loved it. It was really good. I think uh, I loved how it was shot was like one of my favorite things because I think yeah. they did a lot of creative stuff to make it um, – make the jump scares still mean something without like, well, also knowing like there are a lot of them. Um, one of my favorite parts too, actually, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was the the director was somebody who worked, uh, it was either director or producer was somebody who worked on, on alien. So like the shot that they did with the fake therapist um, 
was like a direct homage to that scene from Alien where <laughs> it's like up, like breathing up against Ripley. Um, so like, because I went back, I like, I love like watching YouTube videos on stuff after I watch a yeah. movie and like getting to know more. And um, I think the, what really set this movie apart for me though, was like the last 10 minutes um, because the practical effects that they did for the actual like smile monster um, monster does not do it justice, by the way. That's like, that thing was like, that was generally horrifying uh, to see like pop up for the first time that like really set it apart for me. Like the way that they did that. Um, I thought it was cool because like the movie obviously had a lot to say about mental health. I think it was, a, uh, it was, it was almost just like really, it was difficult to watch um, because like you're essentially seeing somebody who is to all all these other people like losing their mind but like very really like just like getting haunted by something that is like trying to kill them and um i don't know i think not that i I felt it was like overly profound or something but like it was uh i i really enjoyed a lot of what they were trying to get at and um how they went about it and i thought i don't i can't remember the actress's name right now i know it's kevin bacon's daughter um but she was tremendous like i thought she was really damn good in this um so yeah i enjoyed the absolute hell out of this movie so i thought this is the best jump scare movie of the year so far and i've seen god knows how many horror movies probably 20 i think i've seen all of the major ones this year barbarian halloween ends you know what what, speak no evil like everything that's come out i've seen basically Mm -hmm. in terms of the jump scare movies um and speak no evil is not a jump scare movie it's a weirdo like social awkwardness horror movie (laughs) um smile i think is an incredible technical achievement uh the camera movement that will like purposely play against your expectations in terms of there should be something in the depth of field here. The way that they designed the sets as well, especially their house, I think mm-hmm. where the where they would set the camera, there'd almost always be substantial depth of field as the camera is moving. So you're always expecting there to be something. Yeah. And sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't. Like it's just a really, really fucked up movie in that way yeah like, oh dude and speaking of just fuck the up, tension like, you're like, always tense it's watching the this. tension but like i so when i first started watching i was like i mean i thought it was going to be like i mean i thought i was going to get some good stuff and it was going to be scary but like when the the cat happens i was like i was not yeah. ready i didn't i was like okay this is where we're going like this is like you know 35 40 minutes in we're hitting that like that's yeah. that's something that goes on i'm like okay that's the depth you're going to um i think the be- I, I had a friend describe it to me he's like you feel hopeless watching it which i was like yeah yeah yeah, yeah like just that's that's kind of true which is i almost I, I wanted to ask you how did you feel about the ending because like i almost just kind of wish that the ending had been a little bit different even though i get why they went in that direction um do you mean like the last second not just like, last second, like like the um, whole last sequence you mean even i part of it's because i do enjoy a happy ending i kind of wish that she had gotten out of the house um <laughs> but like what was so difficult about that is because like i think in terms of like actual movie making that was great but in terms of like from a humanity standpoint i'm like so like 
you're just saying that you can't escape it. And I'm like, I hate that. <laughs> and uh, so I think in some ways that was almost more effective, but it was like, that was, that was incredibly difficult at the end. Yeah. I liked the ending. I thought it was a very good ending for what the movie was. Yeah. Um, because look, this is, it's not like this hasn't been done before, right? Like this is a riff on it follows essentially. And it follows is a riff on something else that I can't think of off the top of my head. Right. Um, it's not like this, like, you know, horror that follows you from person to person after death or something like that. It's not like this is new in many ways. It's a thing that's been done before, but typically they solve it at the end. And if you're going to do this, I like the idea. And I actually don't, I can't remember off the top of my head with it follows if they solve it or not, but it follows, I think is a slightly better version of this, but I think that this is pretty close to that level. Um, I like the idea of it just being something that is impossible to solve in many ways. And you can try, it, it almost lines up. This is like a fucked up way of thinking of it, but like it almost lines up very similarly to like the idea of like trauma and escaping your past in this movie, right? Like you can try to avoid like dealing with your trauma. You can try to avoid thinking about your past in the way that the main character in this film does. Uh, Zosie Bacon, if I remember correctly, is her name. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually it's going to catch you, right? You're going to be presented with this horror. And it's a little bit fucked up that like the message at the end is like that, you know, you can't solve it, but yeah. I kind of like it at the end. Like, I think it fit this movie the way that this movie laid itself out at the end of it. Um, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really well done. Uh, I will watch whatever Parker Finn does next, basically. So no, um, I really enjoyed it. My biggest, my biggest things, I don't want them to make another one. Like, I think that this is one of those movies where like, I think it's most effective leaving it how they did, which means they're definitely going to make another one. Um, especially no, this movie made so successful. much money. They're definitely yeah. making another one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> which is frustrating from like a film watching standpoint, because I'm sure it'll be like cool, but like, I mean, how do you, that's the kind of thing where it's like, how do you even make something that compares to the last 10 minutes in that movie? I just don't think you can. Like the only thing that I will say that I had like, frustration is the wrong way to put it but like uh and i heard like i don't have access to the the, the deleted scenes because it's not out yet but like i've heard that the deleted scenes do a lot more justice to jesse t usher's performance because i i like him as an actor but like he felt like just kind of like a nothing character in this like they used it like he was like a plot device to be like uh just like somebody who like kind of helps push her further away um but like apparently the deleted scenes are really good for like adding actual characterization to him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just happy. They centralized a woman in that role uh, as opposed to like, you know, typically it's the woman that's like pushing away. So it's just like, whatever to me that Jesse T. Usher is like kind of thrown away. Um, Cause ultimately it's not his story, right? It's hers. Oh yeah, definitely. More than anything, like it's hers. And then it could become Kyle Gallner's down the road. But what else have you watched? Anything else recently? Uh, what else have I watched? That's a great question. I need to be better at keeping on top of my letterbox because I have not been recently. But I uh, I just watched two days ago this movie called She Said. It was uh, it's Carrie yeah. Mulligan and yeah. 
So it's basically about every the, like the New York Times breaking the um, all the cases. Shout out Harvey the New York Weinstein. Times. We love the New yeah. York Times here. Yes, we do. Um, that was really good, actually. Um, it was incredibly difficult watch, though. Um, yeah. So that's definitely something you have to be uh, open to watching. Um, but I definitely encourage people to. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. Did I watch anything else outside of that? I don't think that I've seen anything else. Unless, no. How about you? Have you seen anything else recently? So, watched three of the more high-profile movies of the back half of the year. Watched Amsterdam, which is David O. Russell's new movie with Christian What did Bale you think and... about Amsterdam? Because I did saw Amsterdam. It? I did watch Amsterdam. I think I saw that two or three weeks ago. I thought it was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fucking terrible. Um, it was like, it's like, I thought that it was like, good acting performances but i was just like this story just kind of sucks man and it's like trying really hard to be funny but i also just think it comes off as weird for the most part like so so i I think that like i think the way to think about this is that the script is nowhere near as good as david o russell thinks it is and I think that it's possible that he may have recognized it and tried to overly stylize it to almost make up for that. But then the over stylization just ends up convoluting the story in a substantial way. And then like, like I, I think the, the thing and I'm going to spoil Amsterdam here, but you guys shouldn't watch it. So I'm not that. Yeah, trust me. It. It's a slog like two um, and a half hours long. It's not, not worth it. it so like the the ending, I won't spoil what happens at the end, but the ending is viewed through the eyes of like a Christian Bale that is just like on drugs, basically. And he's like voiceovering, voiceovering and narrating the entire thing. And it's the dumbest way possible to tell the end of a story and to like tell a denouement. It, like it, it's it's not it's not interesting in any way. It it doesn't build tension. This movie struggles throughout its runtime at building tension, of building pace, of making you feel like there are stakes in the film. It really just did not work at all. And I think that a lot of the time, David O. Russell picked overly stylizing the image on screen and some of the ideas of what he's doing at the expense of telling an interesting story, building tension, building pacing, building momentum for the story. And it just never really works at all. Yeah, It, it just flat out does not work. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you. Like I thought the acting was hit or miss. I thought that there were actors that were really on David O. Russell's wavelength, like Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, like, you know, those two are just Anya Taylor joy is another one. She's like really on it in terms of like what David O. Russell is like asking basically, but I didn't think John David Washington or Taylor Swift, frankly, or, um, you know, I'm trying to think like Zoe Saldana. Like I, I didn't think that a lot of the actors in this film were really on his wavelength. Yeah. I uh, agree with that. In terms too. of was- what he was trying to do. Yeah. Um, yes, I completely. In terms of tone, in terms of like speech, and in terms of like pacing of speech, it just didn't. It didn't work. I think. 
Yeah, it like came off uncomfortable at times. Like you mentioned, like the scenes with Zoe Saldana, I'm like, what is her mood? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. And same thing with, I, I'm going to kick myself that I don't remember this guy's name right now. The guy who plays the general. Um, literally the guy one of the plays- most impactful time. Uh which which general? Because there's there's Mike Myers uh, and Michael Shannon, and there's like the Marine, yeah, the Marine, yeah, oh, like Christian Marine. Bale. No, not not Christian Bale. The guy that they have to like convince to give the speech at the end. It's been a yeah, long they have day. To convince to give the speech at the end. What am I? Uh, let, let me look it up. It is. Um, Robert De Niro, idiot. Yes, oh, Robert De Niro. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I thought Robert movie. De Niro was terrible in this, dude. Like, and like, just to be fair to him, like, like you meant to do, like, it just, like, it, his, he just felt so, like, odd for the way that the script was written and for everything in general. I think, like, like you mentioned, the best way to put it, it felt like this dude just, like, sat laughing to himself while he wrote the entire thing. Like, telling everybody that he was smarter than them. That was very much how the movie came off at the end. Like, like it told me that I wasn't smart enough to understand it or get it because I wasn't laughing at it. So it was a, yeah. it was a journey. The the other movie I watched recently was 3000 years of longing, which I is like George it. Miller's new movie. Did you see it? Yes, I did see it. I, I forget how many movies I actually have seen, but yes, I did see it. I saw that probably like two or three or four weeks ago now. So you liked it? I did like it. I, I I loved the first hour and 10 minutes. I thought the first hour and 10 minutes is like some of the best, most interesting filmmaking of the year. I didn't really love the third act, which I think yeah. is what a lot of people seem to be saying. I but I, would, I don't really want to spoil this one. I would just recommend everyone go see it. It's just very creative and different and uh, visually stunning. The color palette is amazing. Uh, And some of the ideals that are explored, I think are really, really interesting just in terms of like storytelling and how stories impact us and uh, like the loneliness of storytelling and how it can be like a solitary activity. Um, and how stories were, were stories are everything, right? Their history, their what we tell ourselves. Like it's a really, really interesting movie. It's a really interesting movie. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Thought it was good. I think if they just like cut the last hour by like fifteen minutes and made it more condensed, I think that is better. So do you know what the funny thing is? I think that what? they should have gone the other way. Oh, really? I think that. It should be, I think that the last third of the movie, like the last 30 minutes, they should have expanded it out a little bit longer. Okay. Or like expanded out. It's hard to talk about without spoiling what the turning point is that happens yeah. in like the hour, 10 minute range. And I don't really want to do that. I would just recommend people see it. Um, I, I wish that that would have been a bit more coherently laid out and i wish that afterward we would have gotten a little bit more uh with that i guess that's what i would say okay mark we got to get out of here it's two and a half hours baby (laughs) yeah i just realized that (laughs) we've gone long 
Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. You can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Um, That's the best place to find me. Uh, I probably am on a brief hiatus from writing stuff for this week just because I'm going to be out um, doing – I have two more days of interviews, and then I'll be getting back home on Friday with a three-hour time shift that is not in my favor. Um, So, yeah. I uh, I will be out and about. Obviously, I'll be watching stuff. I'll be putting plenty of stuff on Twitter because I got to keep up, up with every game and everything. But um, yeah, man, nothing too crazy on my end. I love it. Uh, I am working through the draft guide. I will have James Edwards with me on Friday, breaking down the Cade Cunningham injury as well as a couple other things, I'm sure. Keep it locked here, though. Go to the athletic uh, go to the athletic.com slash game theory and you'll be able to get the promotional code for this show and it really helps the show if you go and subscribe to the athletic uh through that code so i'm trying to think what else we've got if you want to subscribe to the youtube channel that'd be valuable uh game theory podcast with sam vicini over on youtube hit that subscribe button it's a great little product that we've got going on there uh go to subscribe on Spotify, go to follow slash subscribe on Apple Podcasts. There are a number of different things you can do to support the show. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.